Hello and welcome to Fade Out, the podcast that examines the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. For this episode, our subject is not an actor or director or writer or producer, but a character. The story is famous. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, on the eve of becoming the new kings of Hollywood, were vacationing in Hawaii just before the release of Star Wars. Spielberg mentioned to his friend that he wanted to direct a James Bond movie, but the Bond producers didn't want him. Lucas responded with, I have something better. Specifically, an adventurer based on the movie serials of old named Indiana Smith. Soon after, the now post-Star Wars and post-Close Encounters, Lucas and Spielberg set up a deal at Paramount Pictures for five movies and then got to work with Philip Kaufman and later Lawrence Kasdan to flesh out a screenplay. After Tom Selleck, who was cast but had to drop out because of his TV contract, Lucas suggested his friend Harrison Ford. The rest is pretty much history. Raiders of the Lost Ark debuted in the summer of 1981 and became a pop culture sensation cementing Harrison Ford as one of the biggest movie stars of the day. Indiana Jones would return in 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, then Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. After cameoing as an older indie in the young Indiana Jones TV series, Ford expressed interest in making another film. With Lucas and Spielberg also back, Indy returned in 2008 with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Most people's reaction to that film seemed to ensure that it would be the last installment. But when Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012, that set in motion what would, a decade later, result in the final Indiana Jones cinematic adventure, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Here with me to discuss the Indiana Jones films is fellow podcaster and fellow Indiana Jones mega fan, Henry Bernstein. Hi, Henry. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Congrats on your Robbie. It's official now. You have been on five of my solo shows as of this appearance. Thank you. I have fulfilled my destiny. And I, a... I can't wait to get my jacket. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk off here about what your size is. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for doing this. This Obviously, everybody that listens to the show knows this is a little bit breaking of our format because, as I mentioned in the intro, we're talking about a character. We're not talking about a real person, sadly. We're talking about a character. And of course, when you're talking about a character, can you really ever say this is their final film? Because Indiana Jones is owned by a mega corporation with lots of IP that they need to milk as best they can. They paid for it. It seems highly doubtful that somewhere along the line, Indiana Jones is not going to come back in some form. But at least in the current version that, that we know him as, as in Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones is over. Harrison Ford has said as much. This is the final adventure. And he, unlike Han Solo, which he didn't really seem to care about, he's very specific of, no, I am Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones stops with me. So I went into the the, the film that we saw over the summer, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, thinking it was the final indiana jones adventure that was uh, that that was the emotionality if that's even a word that i brought to it going in and we will talk about all that but i want to start at you know in the beginning with you henry which is by the way everybody henry and i discussed indiana jones the comic book <laughs> right. uh, on an episode of my mountain comic show where we talked about the raiders of the lost ark a movie adaptation that marvel comics did in 1981 of course and that was just after Dial of Destiny had come out. So we ended up, of course, talking about that movie. And I said at the time, I was curious as to what our reaction was going to be to the movie 
a month, six months later, after we've had a chance to see it, maybe multiple times. And so I'm really curious to, to see what you feel about this movie now that you've seen it a couple times. I've seen it a bunch of times. But I do want to start at the beginning with you was what what's your intro to Indiana Jones? Because you are you were too young to see at least the first two movies in the theater. So how did you first discover this character? Well, as I've uh, mentioned a couple other times, both of my brothers are more in your age range. So they just, you know, I was their little toy, their little pet. So like, and they were very nice to me. They never beat me up or anything. So 10 years younger than my oldest brother and six and a half years younger than my middle brother. So all of the like cool 80s stuff that Gen Xers love, they just dumped on me at a probably inappropriately young age. You know, So I think I saw Temple of Doom taped on our VHS, our VHS player, our VCR, um, off of, you know, WGN on a Saturday afternoon or the ABC, you know, movie, something. We had it already taped. So it had already come out on TV. So, so Temple of Doom was actually the first time I saw Indiana Jones. And, and for whatever reason, for a long time, we didn't have Raiders. I like saw it at a friend's house a couple times. So it sort of held, well, a sort of uh, Ark of the Covenant piece for me and the thing, the fandom things I loved. I only like had seen it a couple times, but never really had a chance to like watch it over and over again. Then eventually it was played on TV and we taped it. And uh, Last Crusade I saw in the theater uh, okay. as a uh, seven-year-old. So, and I was scared at some parts and, you know, like definitely should not have been watching Temple of Doom at the time that I saw it and same with Raiders, but that sort of, I sort of took in Indiana Jones out of order. And by that time, like the machine of like Indiana Jones stuff had already happened. So, you know, uh, computer games, Nintendo games, things like that. So I was just sort of, I just sort of took it all in at once. Were you aware of the comic book? No, because the comic book had already, I think, ended by the time I was collecting comics. I was collecting okay. comics in the 90s. So, like, it wouldn't have come back around. It was okay. in, like, Dark, Dark Horse comics later. Like, yeah. 95, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, The Spear of Destiny came out in 95. So, I might have picked that up at the comic book store, but not the, like, Marvel, the 80s Marvel. Okay, right. Because uh, that lasted three years, which means it was yeah. over by 1987. So, yeah, you would have missed Yeah, that. I wasn't collecting comics till nine, you know, Superman comics in 1991, you know, gotcha. uh, gotcha. But, yeah, so, like, I just sort of, and then, you know, once we had, I had all three of them on tape. That is like, and I could probably, I could say this about Superman 1 and 2 and many other things that you and I haven't discussed over time. But like, you know, my homesick from school movie was like mm -hmm. the Indiana Jones movie. Like, I, I know every word of The Last Crusade backwards and forwards. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my Indiana Jones origin story, so to speak. Okay, so now I'm, I'm curious because my favorite Indiana Jones movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark by A Country Mile. I mean, just and it's that's not even meant as a knock to the other films, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my favorite movies of all time. I would put it in like my top 12, 15 movies. It's it's one of those movies. And the, the, it's a movie that would make me sad if I knew I was never going to see it again, even though there are other movies I would say mean more to me. You know what I mean? Like I'm more emotionally connected to, but I could like my favorite movie of all time is Before Sunrise. But like I watch Before Sunrise once every decade, 
maybe because I'm just not it's right just, as often a, as they make those movies. Well, that too, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just but it's just not a movie yeah. that I'm like really in the mood right. to watch a whole lot. But Raiders, I go to bed at night, yeah. and if like my wife falls falls asleep uh, before I do, which is 99 percent of the time, and I just want to put something on, yeah. And I just want to put something on that I don't have to really pay attention to because I know I'll fall asleep on it. Raiders is going to be like one of five films oh. I'm going to put on. It just is. But but of course, there is always that bias of like, well, your favorite X franchise, your favorite part of the, whatever franchise we're talking about is your first one because that's that's the thing that sets the tone. Yeah. And you're, you're judging everything past that. But you don't have that experience because you just mentioned yeah. You saw Temple of Doom first. So when you saw Raiders, do you remember going, do you feel like there's a little, eh, I don't like this one as much because it's different than Temple of Doom or it didn't matter? When I saw Temple of Doom as a very small child, like probably six or five years old, six That's years way old, too young to see Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Yeah. And especially that, like, I didn't know that, like, even for Indiana Jones, it's considered like, it's a horror film, you know? Yeah. And so when I saw Raiders for the first time, it I, it was clear to me I'm watching the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, I was at my friend's house and he had the actual VHS, you know, bought, purchased at the store. There have been times in my life where I've I've watched Raiders and then immediately started it over again. You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. So I would say in terms of like the like squishy, like comfort feeling that I get from Indiana Jones, Last Crusade is probably my go-to in terms of just how it makes me feel inside my heart. You know, this is what you were sort of describing, describing with Raiders. It's, but Raiders is one of period. The end is one of the greatest movies of all time. Like it just, and I am aware of that every time I watch it. And it, it, you know, there are a few things that give me such joy and like appreciation of like, wow, I am watching a masterpiece right now. than Raiders, the lost Ark does. Right. It's I mean, you could argue there are lots of films that are better than Raiders, but you, I, I think you could also make the argument Raiders is like a perfect film. Like, what it's would you change? Film. What you know, what no, about no. it? Would you go? Eh, they could have done that better. What part? What you know, the the acting? Yeah. No, the characters? No. no, the stunts? No, that like the, the villain? No, the villain? <laughs> no. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's completely like flawless and so right. that's, that's what it is so right. and like even star wars isn't a perfect movie far from it mm-hmm. but it, it makes you feel a certain way yeah you know and obviously those those two franchises are forever connected both in their birth and in their uh you know aging <laughs> um mm-hmm. you know uh adulthood uh because now they're owned by the same place but you know, you can't have one without the other, obviously, through, you know, Harrison Ford and, and, and George Lucas and all those connections. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, I mean, it, to me, it is a to me, it is a top 10 film of all time. You know, like I, you know, it's like it's it's up there with The Godfather and, you know, to me, Superman, the movie. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it's it is an all time great. It It changed film. Like when you said in your intro that as they were on the cusp of becoming Lucas and Spielberg were on the cusp of becoming the Kings of Hollywood, they changed filmmaking, you know, as, as Mm -hmm. we watched in that timeless heroes documentary, that this attitude of like directors wanting to do what they wanted to do. I don't think I appreciated that that wasn't a thing until star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then they really, they truly became, they changed the, 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 the art form of filmmaking. 
you know, and so you, you, we owe it to Raiders for that. I think they 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 up the ante on on any sort of blockbuster filmmaking or any sort of genre thing. I mean, they just they brought a level of skill to it that just had sort of been kind of unseen in a lot of ways. It's so um, funny because Rob, like throughout you know the documentaries, the many documentaries I've now watched, like I went back not only watched the Timeless Heroes, but then went back and watched all the making of documentaries from each of those wow. DVDs. Oh my! You know? Wow. And they keep talking about their love of those old serials from the thirties and which clearly you can see, but, and then even kingdom of the crystal still, they talk about their love of those B movie um, alien movies from when they were kids in the fifties, but the way they make their movies are way more sophisticated than those serials. I mean, yeah. the silly gags, the, the things in the in those serials that are silly gags, you know, a car with a villain going off a cliff or um, a last minute getaway at the last second, they're sort of, they're silly and they're um, in many ways kind of cheesy and cringy in those serials. They're not meant to mean anything. They're meant to eat popcorn before your movie starts, yeah. right? But in Indiana Jones... They're often the pay those moments that are homages to those serials are the payoffs and like, you know, Indy getting away at the last second that now by the time we get to Dial of Destiny are tropes and, you know, spectacular villain deaths. They they presented them. I'll say Spielberg presented that presented it in a way where it's uh, magnificent and um, uh, it's like a precise science for how to present those genre those those, tro- those film tropes i mentioned in the intro you know that this came from lucas's love as you mentioned of the movie serials and his nate his desire to say i'm going to do my own version of james bond and i find that funny because it's it, i mean you know that that was the inspiration for it and while i completely love james bond i've seen every james bond film multiple times same. some of them dozens of times <laughs> yeah same <laughs> uh, i love james bond but in a lot of ways lucas and spielberg kind of did their job almost a little too well mm-hmm. because indiana jones is not james bond um there is no james bond film where i am emotionally invested in james right. bond right that's not what those movies are they're they're meant to be fun and the locations and the gadgets and the plots and all but at no, I mean, other, no, there were some brief little moments here and there, like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, or little little bits and pieces where you are kind of hooked into the emotionality of the characters. But for the most part, it's an adventure, and you are not going into it with any sort of. I mean, I'll you know, spoiler alert, everybody. The last James Bond film, No Time to Die, he dies in that one. They that's kill the, him off. Yeah, that's the first one where there was that sort of emotional yeah, and- beat. Yeah, and I just kind of went, eh, okay, yeah, yeah, because right. I know he's coming. When's back. the next like, one yeah. coming out? Yeah. Yeah, when's the next one coming out? Yeah. Like it just yeah. it it yeah. had no yeah. emotional resonance with me. Right. But I and we talked about this before it came out, and then we talked about this on the Mountain Comics episode. Me going into Dial of Destiny was ri- I was riddled with anxiety <laughs> because I was like, please give good. him a yeah. good exit because I yeah. love this character so much that i need that because i knew it was going to be the last one because harrison ford he's 81 i mean he's just the, mm-hmm. you know he's aged out of this part there's no way they're going to do another one they're just, maybe they might do an, some other iteration some other actor some other 
medium maybe, but Harrison Ford is, is done wearing this outfit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just went into this with such almost like I couldn't enjoy it because I was so <laughs> you're too anxious. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it later on, but like, I actually enjoyed the film more the second time mm-hmm. I took my dad to see. I went with mm-hmm. I went with my wife on the first one, but I took my dad to see it the second time because I'm like, well, now I know what happens. Mm-hmm. Now I can just sort of enjoy mm-hmm. the rigmarole of it and the anxiety. Is, and that's something that Lucas and Spielberg probably could not have expected that they would create a character that so many people would be like, I just love this mm-hmm. guy so mm-hmm. much. And that's, that's, I don't want to say better than James Bond, but it's different than James Bond. It's yeah. they they ended up doing something very different than how what they started out to do. Well, I, I just I I want to definitely respond to the James Bond thing because I, I too love the Bond films and like I have traditions with my with uh, one of my closest oldest friends, my friend Jason. Like we grew up together, we went and saw you know all the Pierce Brosnan James Bonds together when we were in middle school and high school. We saw most of the Daniel Craig ones together. We didn't see the last one together because of the pandemic. But yeah, that's the only one I haven't seen in a theater in 30 years. Yeah, I mean, and then we went back and bought all the VHSs and watched them. We'd have marathons at his house. Like, love James Bond. But I will say, actually, Spielberg and Lucas, they didn't make their own James Bond. They actually subverted the genre in that he's not a spy. He's a professor. He's not a womanizer. He's often in relationships. <laughs> he's, mm-hmm. um, he's, you know, he's not an alcoholic. He doesn't smoke. He, he can use a gun, but it's not his main weapon. He's not a ruthless murderer. He's not, yes, his job yes. doesn't require unless, him to just be a ruthless killer. Unless they're Nazis. Which awesome. is fine. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's you. Fine. We appreciate that. You yeah. know, he just, he, they actually took all of the tropes of, of James Bond and flipped them on their, on their head and actually, like I said, subverted them. And in, you know, if I'm going to make a hot take, I actually think better for what the American audience needed. Like it's, it's, I think he's a, he's a more rounded, better character and really got that from all these various documentaries, especially about the most recent, about Dial of Destiny, the way that, um, the way that uh, Lucas um Spielberg, Ford, and now Manigold care about this character. I I can't think of a another um thing like that. You know, like even Superman. Like we all we love you know, there are many of us that love Reeve and think he's the best and the only, but it's its own thing. Superman's yeah. its own machine. But like the the way in which they've paid such attention to detail and you know from that documentary also like the things that Harrison Ford added to the character there's been nothing like that and actually I think it's better in terms of making a film in terms of film history it's better than James Bond you think part of it is because it's one guy and it's you're you're attaching your feelings about this actor the way James Bond just can't because it's different it's been five six guys at this point and you're it's just it's a shifting so you know you're ranking the bonds but you, your attachment is that it's Harrison Ford and it's this one guy yes. playing him across. So it's how much of it is indie, but a large chunk of it is also that it's we just love Harrison Ford. I do think that. And I think that that comes across in his acting that I, I 
I didn't, I always sort of knew, yeah, he added a lot to the character. Like there's the, you know, the, the famous, famous story of, you know, he was too sick in, yeah. in to, <laughs> the sword to, fight. Yeah. To do the sword fight. So he's like, well, why don't we just shoot him? Like that's an iconic <laughs> Holloway Hollywood story. Like anyone who's a fan <laughs> of eighties movies and Indiana Jones knows that story. Fine. But the degree to which he um, really cared about this character, I don't think I truly appreciated until he flat out said it in these various documentaries and that he added to the the line, came up with lines all the times. But he says something in the, in the documentary Timeless Heroes where he said, with every movie, I wanted to bring a new thing that the audience didn't know about Indiana Jones to each film. Like you learn something, he wanted the audience to learn something new about the character of Indiana Jones in each film. So obviously the first one's the introduction, you know, um, Temple of Doom, you know, the flying the plane thing, you know, uh, and then uh, last. Crusade, he's a dad. He's essentially a dad in the second one. Right. That's a new that's a new element to him. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. His ability to, to be with kids, you know, he, um, then his father, obviously, the third yep. one, and then in the fourth one being an actual dad, actual dad. And, yeah. You know, and then and then in this last one, what is it like to see Indiana Jones 40 years later? Not in a great place, both emotionally and and physically. Well, maybe not physically, but emotionally. And what I wanted to say in the, in, in response to what you're saying about the character tied up in in the person and Harrison Ford is that even if I hadn't seen all all these documentaries, and that still comes across the way he plays this character. And I've I'm a Harrison Ford stan. Like I love regarding Henry and the Witness, of course, and you know American Graffiti and you know, Air Force One. I mean, I remember the poster when Air Force One came out, the poster said, the teaser poster, all it said was, Harrison Ford is the president of the United States. Done. Like, that was how they sold the movie. Done. And Man, I was what else you need? Yeah. to see it, you know? So, and it's sort of like, in my mind, it's sort of like, well, Indiana Jones is the president of the United States, right? Like, Indiana oh, Jones if only. Is, <laughs> yeah, right. Indiana Jones is in Patriot Games. Like, to me, he's always Indiana Jones. And so I think, yeah, the answer to your question is yes, that's a big part of it, is that there, he is so tied to that character. Yeah. I, I You know, I, the, the, the affection I have for him from being Han Solo, and you mentioned... He's been a huge movie star for 30 years, 40 years almost. I mean, leading, the fugitive. How the iconic fugitive. is the fugitive yeah. for, like, anyone who grew up in the 90s? Like, that thing to this day is still – if you're flipping through USA or TBS, I guarantee <laughs> you at a 7 o'clock on a Saturday night, the fugitive will be on one of those. You know? <laughs> like, that, that movie is iconic in terms of an introduction to a character. And so, like, that's Harrison Ford. He is – he's the goat <laughs> when, I, when i was a kid uh i would watch movies that uh, on cable uh or maybe on on video uh, or at least be interested in movies that i normally never would have bothered with because he was in it like witness mm-hmm. i'm 15 right. what do i care about Wit- an amish murder mystery what do i right. care about that but it's harrison ford so I'm going to give it a chance. I may not like it. I may go, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah, but it's, but it's it, Harrison it, Ford. It's Harrison Ford. You know, Mosquito Coast. I'll watch yeah. that. Like, okay, yeah, you know, give, yeah. give that a shot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, he plays Branch Ricky in 42. Like 42. Yeah, like that's the, right. Like, he's about to be General Ross in the MCU. You know, <laughs> like it's which is a, kind of ridiculous, but yes, you know. Is. You just have to go across the office, but to you know, across the hall to a different office. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, he's just exactly what you said. Like, I would watch anything that he's in. But all of that, for me, comes from first Indiana Jones, then Han Solo. I mean, Han Solo is my favorite Star Wars character, but Han Solo kind of went out like a punk. <laughs> and that sucked. I I was in the theater, and I didn't get the whole thing that, like, Harrison Ford was done with has been done with this character since 1980. Literally, I'm sitting in the theater with my wife and my brother, and when it, spoiler alert, Han Solo gets killed by his son. I out loud said, "Oh come on!" <laughs> like to me, Harrison Ford doesn't die, and so like in that moment, that's like I I know Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't that great, but Harrison Ford didn't, but Indiana Jones didn't die at the end of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just okay, just as just because you brought it up, a very brief aside. Yeah, my single favorite moment of the entire the entirety of the Disney sequels, everything about the Disney sequels, the films themselves, the hype. So even though I love Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi, and that film got me emotional when I saw it because mm-hmm. of the closure it brought to Luke Skywalker, another beloved character from my childhood. My single favorite moment of everything about Disney Star Wars is when they released the 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 first trailer, not the mm-hmm. teaser, like the third, not the 15, 30 second one, but the full one. And I saw it online as they played it in a theater. I think it like Disney D twenty two or whatever it was. Green is dark, right? And then you hear his voice. You hear Chewy, and then. They flash up, and it's him and Chewie, and he goes, we're home. Oh, and yeah. people went yeah. in. Oh. oh, my. And that is my favorite, because after that, people's opinions got divided on the movies. Right. And Star oh, Wars I openly wept horrible. at work. I was sitting in, you know? the, in the, yeah, I was sitting with all the other teachers at my little cubicle, and I burst into tears right there at my desk. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I will go back and watch that. I will watch mm-hmm. Force Awakens trailer reaction and it was just <laughs> somebody just brought like their Apple Watch or their yeah. phone into the theater and recorded it and it was the most unvarnished uh, yeah. just from your gut reaction of like oh my god I'm seeing Han Solo again and that's yep. that moment belongs to Harrison Ford so there right. you go so yeah Raiders I, I just, and another thing about Raiders is when it came out I saw it in the theater my dad took my sister and I to see it it blew me away I, I just I, I remember being in the theaters being like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And that, that I always know a movie is really great when I want to go and live in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't just want to watch the movie. I want to like insert myself in the world. And that really, you know, as a kid, I was always sort of interested in the forties, the thirties and the forties has always been like a time period. I've just been mm-hmm. fascinated by, I grew up watching Avon Costello movies and the universal monsters. So I was the Flash Gordon movie serials, which I knew were made back then. But like that year, 81 is the same year that Roy Thomas's All-Star Squadron comic came out, mm-hmm. which is set in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things just cemented like, oh, I want at the end of Raiders where uh, Indy and Marion are on the steps and he looks as handsome as anybody's ever looked, you know, with that fedora and the suit. And she looks unbelievably she's like the most gorgeous any woman's ever looked is that is what she's in that outfit and i want to just walk along with them and yes. go have yes. fish. i'm like yes. please just put me into this movie yeah and i feel that way every single every time it ends i'm always like uh 
all right, it's over. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Raiders also, for me, as like pretty engaged Jewish person in terms of like Judaism being a part of my life, sure. the seeing like, you know, what we learned about and I went, I went, I grew up going to Jewish day school and like, obviously as an adult, I became a Jewish educator, like seeing the Ark of the Covenant and the the garb of the, the Kohane garb on the screen and that they did that in 1981 and really sure it's really accurate. I mean, the, the Bible has very boring and exact descriptions of what the, um, what the Ark of the Covenant looked like and what the garb that the, the Kohane wore and they nailed it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, didn't pay that much attention in Hebrew school. So <laughs> to, to like, to me, this is a movie of representation. Like that's a thing that mm. I talk about a lot on my podcast, which focuses on Ju- Jewish characters in comic books, by the way, speaking of all-star squadron. And, What's the name uh, of it? Tell everybody the name. Oh, um, uh, funny. They don't look Jewish. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the nephew of, of the original Adam, uh, Nuklon or is, uh, is, is Jewish, um, Mm -hmm. Al Rothstein. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, seeing that, like that counts as like major inclusion for me in terms of like, like, obviously I know that the, um, Christianity has the old Testament too, but like, we don't call it the old Testament. It's just the test. It's just right. It's just the Torah. So seeing that on screen, nothing compares to that, that it is, you know, in many ways, it's the most Jewish action adventure. It is the most Jewish action adventure film of all time because of that. That's the the, the climax of the film is Nazis doing what they're not supposed to be doing with with the stuff that moses's brother aaron war like come on (laughs) so i will always appreciate raiders of the lost ark and uh spielberg for that too yeah i learned a lot i feel like i learned a lot about (laughs) about, you know jewish history thanks to raiders of the lost thanks to belloc you know talking about by by the way yes yes one you know raiders of the lost ark proves that to you do not need like a, a a Thanos level villain to have a great villain in your movie. He Paul Freeman as Belloc. Right. He's just a French guy. That's right. it. And, and he's it, also and he, just an archaeologist. And he's just an archaeologist, <laughs> but he is one of the most compelling villains of all yes. time. Right. And it's like, well, just if he's written well, that's all you need. Right. That's it. Is you just need someone that's written well to be your to be your villain. So um you know, I God, we could spend the whole show just talking about Raiders, but there, there's a couple of things I'm wondering because we are, we are going to move on to the other films. You know, I find it interesting to go back and find some of the antecedents of Raiders. I mean, we know, again, the movie serials are an inspiration, and this is stuff that, that Lucas and Spielberg own up to. Um, you know, like, there are the Scrooge McDuck comics from the 50s by Carl Barks. There are a couple issues where Scroo- Uncle Scrooge and Donald and the and the nephews go on adventures that is directly cribbed by those guys for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. There's an issue of Uncle Scrooge where Scrooge is is in a temple and there is a golden idol that he tries to steal. <laughs> and when he steals it, it triggers a boulder that chases him. I mean, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and it's so charming to see yeah. it done in this. And they're like, oh, God. Like, you can imagine, like, you know, 10-year-old George Lucas reading this and just you know okay i'm just, just I remember that it is putting it yeah. back in his head somewhere 
But there's a couple other things. I discovered, um, not I discovered, but there's a movie from the 50s with Charlton Heston called The Secret of the Incas, Mm. which is an action-adventure film. He wears a brown leather jacket, tan pants, and a brown fedora. I mean, he looks exactly like Indiana Jones. And in fact, a bunch of years ago at my previous job where I was involved with a company that distributed movie trailers – and, and I would produce this content for our customers where we, I would announce the trailers that we had, like, grouped around a theme. And one week I did Raiders at 35. And so I was like, okay, here's the trailer for Raiders. Here's the trailer for Indiana Jones. But we had to do 10. Oh, wow. like, how, do you, how do you have 10 trailers? You've only got four Indiana Jones movies. Well, one of them was Secret of the Incas because I'm like, it's can you watch it. <laughs> it is totally Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's a 1940s film called Zanzibar which features a lot of these same story beats. So it's so fun to see this stuff that's clearly percolating in their mind. Yeah. And it becomes this thing now that, that, you know, most people only think originated with Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, right. And you kind of get that feeling from the Fablemans too, watching Sp- Spielberg's oh, yeah. influences as, yeah. a, as a young boy and like, you know, being train sequences, being a big part of his life and everything. So it, yeah, it is cool going back and seeing those things. Yeah, for now sure. I will I will mention I am such a hardcore purist that a bunch of years ago when there were I don't know what versions of it were changed but they started issuing Raiders of the Lost Ark with the new logo yeah. as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark I was it not I, uh, it's yeah, the, it see, was the DVDs that came out in like yeah I, 2003. Yeah, no, yeah. guys. Indiana no. Jones and the Raiders of the Lost no. Ark. I, mean, Stop I, I remember getting this DVD set, and I was like, that's not what the movie is called. No, no, stop fussing with it. And I can remember, so I have a bunch of movies that I own on Apple, like iTunes. And because, I mean, I keep things on on physical media. I have Raiders on Blu-ray, but I bought it on Apple because, again, it's something I can watch late at night. Um, right, and you're in, go to on sleep. your phone or in your and, and And to be honest, like, I... I'm like, look, this isn't going to stop me from buying it, <laughs> but it w- it's listed on Apple as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost. It's under I, not under R. And I'm I like, yeah. I'm like, now and that makes sense. Obviously, SEO wise, is that right. you want everything to be under I. When I bought it and I put it on, and I'm like, I better not see that damn Indiana Jones. Like, and then it just says Raiders. Like, okay, right. all right, thank you. But and this is something I I pointed out to Henry before we started. I find it quite interesting that I have a 1982 Parker Brothers Raiders of the Lost Ark board game with a beautiful painting of Harrison Ford here on the front. This is 1982, right? So this is two years before Temple of Doom, before anything else. The name of the game is Indiana Jones from Raiders Mm. of the Lost Ark. So even as early as 1982, Mm. they were figuring out Indiana Jones is the is the thing that you were selling here, not right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, I mean, right. you know, it's not like it was Spielberg later on. This is one year after the movie. They were already kind of like trying to rebrand it a little bit. So I was like, right. all right, I'm a little less upset about it. Being this thing. <laughs> well, Lucas had already made a mint off of toys from Star Wars. Right. So he knew all about that stuff. And he probably told Spielberg, hey, Get in, you know, yeah, uh, get in on this. Even though those toys never went anywhere for some reason. No, I, I, I don't know why I didn't get them because were, I don't think they were they were like distributed as widely as 
Star Wars. So no, oh, certainly not. And maybe I, because but I mean, those movies aren't really for kids. It's like you know the Batman yeah. Returns problem. You know, I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, Nazi mechanic. Okay, you know, like what am I going to do? You know, what are you going to do with that? Um, I, I, I will say if I ever become a cajillionaire, uh, time is time's running out, but if I ever become a cajillionaire, <laughs> I will buy a complete set of those on the cards. Yeah. Uh, because I would love to find the Marianne, Marianne for, I saw one in a store once, but it was like $2,000. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's they must have made them. like seven of those. Like what is all of a sudden Marion Ravenswood is action comics. Number one. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, well, the weird thing is about that action figure. Again, we got to get onto the rest of the movies, but like <laughs> the weird thing about the Marion figure is, and they reissued them and I have the reissue. It's here on my shelf, actually next to my picture of me and Karen Allen. When I met her a bunch of years ago is that she's in the wedding dress. Yeah. Which I is know. such it's a strange choice for an action right. figure. Right. The Hasbro six inch one is she's in the red the red and white outfit yeah but, put her in that or her yeah. outfit in the bar like right. but not the wedding like what a weird you know what a weird choice so anyway okay one final thing about raiders of the lost ark in and then i spared no research is that i went and bought the mad magazine parody of raiders of the lost ark it features a cover of indiana jones running into picking up the idol and it's got alfred e newman's face on it it's drawn by jack davis the uh-huh. incomparable Jack Davis, so you know it looks absolutely gorgeous. And the thing I find funny about it is the ending, you know, has the end yes, the ending of the movie where they're putting the the, the arc in the in, in the crate. And yeah. they're the joke is they're just having the characters say, Well, geez, even God can be defeated by bureaucracy, by government bureaucracy. And I'm like, Yeah, well, that's kind of the point the movie that, is making. And that's I realize the actual that, point of the movie. <laughs> really. And I realized that like Mad must have realized. This movie's pretty good. Like, we can't really make fun of it. <laughs> Even Mad Magazine <laughs> couldn't make fun of it. <laughs> the, the joke, the jokes in it are typical Mad, but they're pretty gentle because I think, yeah, right. I think they were like, "Look, what what's there to goof they on?" Probably loved it. It's a great yeah. movie. Like, what are yeah. we doing here? Yeah, we. What is, to- what's the pun that they made? What was it called instead of Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Art. Pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fairly underwhelming as a as a, as a parody. So, okay, there. Usually, there's some sort of toilet joke in there. But... <laughs> no, yeah, no, they just they went they went kind of benign uh, yeah. with this one. So, anyway, finally, we're talking about the other movies. So, I, I rewatched all five of these Same. movies in in, in in preparation of this, and the takeaway I had, and in my mind, uh, before this, before this rewatch, I rated them Raiders absolutely number one Raiders by again a country yeah. mile. Then Last Crusade, then Temple of Doom, then Dial of Destiny, and then Crystal Skull. Same. Rewatching them, I don't know if that positioning has changed, but I will say Temple of Doom was way better than I remember it, and Last Crusade was not as good as I remember. Really? They've they've kind of gotten clear. Before they were, to me, it was like, oh, Last Crusade's way better than Temple of Doom. And they've kind of... They kind of gotten a little, a lot closer now. So that's, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing you don't feel the same way. I I don't feel the same. I mean, I think I would say, you know, the joke after coming out of Dial of Destiny and everyone's asking me, so Henry, what'd you think? And, you know, I was like, well, it was the fourth best Indiana Jones movie, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) easily. Um, It's funny because I feel after this most recent rewatch, I I would say um, Dial of Destiny is getting closer the temple of doom i mean the problem is with mm. the th- the first three you just can't nothing beats them even though temple of doom has its problems 
you can't beat that version of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Like and his prime. Just, in his prime. He's in his prime, right. So you can't, so at, even though they're like amazing character things in Dial of Destiny, it's just those three are sort of locked in. And mm-hmm. it's not close to me at all. Like if anything, Last, Last Crusade is like saying to Raiders Lost Ark, hey, don't forget about me. You know, <laughs> but, but, and Temple of Doom is like solidly third. Yeah, and I would say like Dial Destiny kind of leaves Kingdom of the Crystal Skull in its dust. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I mean, to me, Last Crusade, I, I, I have, I, I, it's almost perfect to me. Also, I mean, just first of all, the I the meta thing of it, which I didn't even appreciate when I was a kid seeing it in the theater at seven years old, that they finally got James Bond to James be in a right. pseudo James Bond movie as the father of James Bond. And he was only 11 years older than Harrison. Like all of yeah. that stuff was lost on me. I just love that movie. And I just love their interactions and every single one of Sean Connery's lines is iconic and incredible. You know, and he's, uh, I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne, the rocks and the trees and the birds and the sky. And Indy just looks up at him with such emotion and reverence. And it's like, oh, so as tough as he was on Indy, that's why he wanted to always be him. And that's why he loved him. And then that moment at the end, when finally Indy can just almost reach the grail. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of in a way, you know, he shouldn't be, but you're kind of also rooting for him. It's like his finger is on it much more than Elsa's was. And he's got it. And when Sean Connery just takes a breath and says, Indiana, and it's just like, oh, that's what Indy wanted to hear the whole time. It was like, instead of dead naming him the whole movie, he finally calls him, he calls him the name he wants to be called. Mm -hmm. And then that's just, that to me is perfection in film. And then literally riding off in the sunset on horseback. It's just, so, you know, that's, that's my that's my uh, defense of Last Crusade. It just, it's, I mean, yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's a great movie. It's just that it, there were parts of it that I was like, oh yeah, that part, you know, like the intro. I think is fun with River Phoenix. It's a little Star Wars prequely where it's like, oh wow, every important thing happened in Indiana Jones in one adventure. Right, the snakes, got the whip, and the, the scar. snakes, yeah. the whip, the scar, the <laughs> yeah. hat. Like, oh wow, yeah. he had no other adventures, you know, other than that one day. That's a little like, well, which all right. we definitely know isn't true because that which a we definitely know is a successful true. series because <laughs> he's, he's met every famous person in history from right. 1915 through 1935. The thing that the thing that I like I said, watching Temple of Doom, I was like, this is a lot better than I remembered. There's still some stuff that is just like, I roll my, like all the, the, the eating of the animals, the, that whole dinner that. scene. I still I, can't like, watch it to this day. I still Yeah, to me, it's not funny. It, and yeah. I can't watch the bugs and I can't watch the monkey brains and the eyeballs. Yeah. I just, I can't watch it. It grosses yeah. me out and it's yeah. like to the point where I don't enjoy it. I can watch the beating heart. I can watch the, the voodoo, the, the voodoo. I can watch the blood drinking. But that, but like the super gross out stuff, I just can't do it. And that's where yeah. the movie drops significantly for me. The thing that the, the weaknesses to the, to that movie uh, that I, again, sort of became clear again, as I watched it outside of that part, we just talked about is there, there's a grimness. I mean, outside of the gore, the actual gore of like a guy getting his heart ripped out of his chest and whatever, but like, there is a lot of innocent death in Temple of Doom. Yeah. 
a lot of people die that have either con- that are connected to indie or no or not connected to indie but like you know that guy that the, the thuggy cult uses the, the subject the guy that gets his heart ripped out he gets set on fire alive right. and if you go back and you watch raiders not a single person in raiders of the lost Ark gets killed who is not a bad guy Every well, I don't sur- yeah and i don't want to jump too far ahead because like and that's we'll talk about it but that's one of my problems with dial of destiny yes which we could, at, we- yes that's something that's that's why I find Raiders to be to me is tonally so perfect right, right. is that even the most innocent, the monkey who eats the bad dates, he was a Nazi monkey. He was a right. Nazi sympathizing <laughs> monkey. So screw him. But like the minute you see lots of death in an Indiana Jones movie, you're like, well, these this is getting kind of grim. Right. And they, I don't know if these movies are meant to support that. And right. so there's so much kind of just misery in right. Temple of Doom. There's poor right. kids getting whipped. There, you know, yeah, it's like child it's, slavery in it. Child it's like, slavery. Yeah. I mean, you're just like, oh my god. And then yeah. the other thing is when I rewatched it, the fan, the final third of that movie never lets up. It goes from the thuggy cult ceremony to Indy turning bad to the fight. To the guy getting crushed by the rocks, by the way, the same guy, of course, from right. Lost Ark, Pat right. Roach. It goes from that to the to the the, the, um, the mine car chase yeah. to the bridge, and it never stops. And after a while, you're like, I just need a moment. I need a breath. And yeah. Raiders knew Raiders knew how to pace itself. It's like right. big action set piece. Slow down a little. Action right. set piece. Another action set piece. Let's slow down a little. But it's like the final third of jones of uh temple of doom is just boom 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 yeah. boom and after a while you're like okay enough like just yeah. too much you know so yeah they didn't quite they didn't quite also, get it right but the, the stuff that's good about it was way better than i remember also like i kind of think this is like oh, a, a criticism of the franchise overall i kind of think they screwed up by not bringing marion back sooner oh totally like, like totally. I'm really happy for Steven Spielberg that he met Kate Capshaw. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah. even a scene in which you see a slightly, you know, because I know that Temple of Doom is supposed to take place before it, but he knew her for a long time. Remember, she says in Raiders, "I was a child." Then. Yes. Like, yes. So, like, even something, you know, where he, where he meets her, I don't know. Like, that was a mistake not bringing her back for that one. But then in Last Crusade, there was no reason she. Why wasn't Karen Allen in Last Crusade? Did they not write a part for her? Like, did they see that goes back to the other thing? I was she could have been in that and on that adventure with them. It would have made so much sense. But see that again. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. Whereas they they invent they were like this is James Bond, so we got to have the Bond girl, which means every movie it's different, and it's another instance of where they did their job too well. Mm. The first Bond girl. Karen Allen as Marion Ravenwood is so good that you miss her in the subsequent films. And they didn't know that. I think they were just like, oh, no, we could just swap in a different woman every time because that's what these movies do. So they kind of blew it there. Yeah, they just they did too good a job. Karen Allen just crushed that part so completely that. When he's making time with Willie, you're kind of like, really? Like I know it's it feels weird, yeah. And then he's flirting with the Nazi woman in the third yeah, one. He, you're like, what? he bangs her, and yeah, yeah, more than flirting, yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, it was. It seemed like it was like you didn't have Marion just so you could have a joke where you and your dad bang the same Nazi. Yeah, like, <laughs> mm. so Boy, that's that, I would say that is a, <laughs> a that is a, a deep flaw in Last Crusade for sure that that they didn't bring back Marion for that. There's no and, reason for that. 
something else that I see as flaws in every other Raiders movie, every other indie movie that Raiders does not have is that yes, Indy is not indestructible, right? He can be, he can be um, betrayed by his Confederates, you know, uh, si, si senor, you know, give me the whip, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or he jumps across the chasm and he grabs the rope and he feels like he's got purchase. And then it pulls out from under the rock and he's like, oh, gee, you know, or the, the Nazi who just completely decks him, you know, like he's, he's more of a regular guy. Right. I mean, he's, yeah, right. he's got guy. an achievement. He's, right. But he's never, he's never a clown or an object of ridicule. And in in all the subsequent movies, there are gags at Indiana Jones's expense. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a dummy; doesn't know this. Like, even Temple of Doom, you know, he that he after that bravura opening sequence in the bar, right? And he gets away and he gets on the plane that he's handed to by Dan Aykroyd, and he's like, yes. you know, <laughs> right? Which is fun. I like seeing Dan Aykroyd in the movie. Uh, whatever he says, he's like, uh, "Nice try, Lao Che." Shuts the door, Lao Che Airlines. And you're like, oh, well, didn't Indy, didn't like he think this, th-? like it makes him look silly. And I think they do that in almost every film after Raiders. And that's why to me, Raiders to me is still so perfect because they don't, he's not perfect, but he's never a clown. And I feel like in Indiana Jones where he's like doing the mm-hmm. Scottish accent mm-hmm. and the Nazis like, if you're a clown, if you're a Scottish, I'm Mickey Mouse. If you are Scottish law, then I am Mickey Mouse. You know, How and dare he? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, come on. And I, and I am curious to what you think about this. The scene in Crusade, again, I don't mean to dump on it because I think it's still a great movie. It's got Sala in it. John Rice davies as Sala again. Denholm Elliott, great. Great stuff. And them riding off in the sunset is like the great ending. But Indiana Jones meeting Hitler, too far. Too (laughs) far. And he signs a book for him. I'm like, why didn't Indiana Jones punch Hitler? (laughs) Yeah, I watch that scene and I cringe because I say, look, Obviously, the Nazis are based on, unfortunately, real people, but the Nazis in Raiders, they're not real people. They're, they're you know, troopers. they're well, but I mean, they're they're not real guys. They're right. just fictional Nazis. But to me, once you bring in people that we know in history exist, it brings a, mm. a, a, a darkness to it that I just don't think. Indiana Jones should be involved. I don't want Indiana right. Jones to punch out Herman Goering. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right, like, no, right, he can right. he can defeat Dietrich or Tote because right. they're standing. But to me, and so him meeting Hitler, I'm like, just it one step too far. Just, yeah, I, was like, I think I usually, yeah, since that's such a transitional scene. Yeah, it's such a gag, that scene. It's so weird that like, because it, it doesn't do anything for the plot. No, like. Right, because because no. like they immediately go like he and his father could still be watching the book burning. Hitler doesn't need to be there. The the emotional yep. part of that scene is Elsa being angry that they're burning books and crying over it, and Indy calling her out for like you know for going along with it. They didn't need that. It was a gag, and that's such a weird thing to have is have a Hitler as your gag. Yeah, it's just and and, and, yeah, and I'm you know you if you, I'm with you on if, that. If you want to take it way too far, you could say, "Indy, just kill Hitler." I know you're going to die in the process, but you've you've sacrificed yourself right. for a greater good. Like you, if you have a chance to kill Hitler, go do it. Don't, well, if you're going to you know, do a gag like that, have him punch Hitler and then run, and have all of Germany yeah. chasing him, and he gets away. Like, yeah, right. There you got go. all of Germany. Yeah, 
Germany has declared war on the Jones boys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's exactly. already go happening. So why not? <laughs> yeah. So it's, so I said, it's, it's yeah. not that I still would say Lace Crusade is the second best one, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a lot closer to Temple of Doom than I, at least now, than I remember. And it's more because Temple of Doom has risen higher than Last Crusade has fallen. It's more like, okay, they're just closer together than I, than I remember. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, okay, then, it's over, right? They've done three. They've done a trilogy. It's it's done. Then they do the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or Adventures. I tried to watch it. I think as most of us did, most yeah. of Indiana Jones did. I think most people would agree it's crushingly dull. I mean, yeah, just I, I, stultifyingly yeah. dull. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching it as a kid every week when it was on because, like, that's what we had. It was like, if you want Indiana Jones, you had to watch this show. And I just remember every week being like, it was sort of like bad quantum leap, basically. It was, (laughs) you know, it was just if quantum leap wasn't a good show, it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, but then this one day in sixth grade with no warning, there he is, Harrison Ford, you know, I mean, mystery of the blues. There he is. And I remember watching whatever the show was on before that. And then there's like, stay tuned for, Young Indiana or the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles with special guest star Harrison Ford, and they show him driving a truck, and I like freaked out. I'm like, "Wait, what?" And <laughs> you know, ultimately, as you and I saw when we rewatched that, it all his scenes add up to seven minutes and fifty eight seconds. But that was crazy at the time, and you know, I didn't know have enough warning to set my VCR. I would have <laughs> so I could watch it over the next thirty years, but. That was it. That was all we had. You know, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s. And we didn't know this at the time, really, but I think it says something that the notoriously cranky, let's say, Harrison Ford, I don't think I'm, I don't think that's a hot take, that he's a notorious cranky guy. I mean, that's his persona at this point. He's on talk shows. He's cranky. It's his gimmick on on Letterman. It's it's his gimmick that he's, (laughs) right, that he's cranky. It's a shtick. But the fact that movie star Harrison Ford would be on a TV show playing Indiana Jones again. Totally. God, he loves playing Indiana. Like he, mm-hmm. he clearly doesn't like being Han Solo. He doesn't want to talk about it. He's not interested, but he'll even be on a TV show in an, I, I, in an era when movie stars were not on television. Shows. Oh, no. There was such a dividing line between those two mediums. He was the biggest star in the world. I mean, think about what, what did he make? I mean, did you didn't didn't fugitive come out like the next year or something, something like that it was right around then yeah yeah, yeah. 95 maybe it came out like he was probably filming fugitive that's why he had a beard well, that's why he has the beard yeah that's right. why he's got that beard. Well, which like, he looks great indy looked great with the salt and pepper beard awesome. Awesome. yeah i could have done without him fake playing the saxophone but <laughs> he should have picked up a guitar or something that would have been way cooler but whatever um i, I do want to say one thing about that actually for all of my life, I had this idea that Harrison, that for some reason, Indiana Jones was a professor at University of Chicago. Like when they showed those scenes <laughs> okay. of of the, whatever university he was in, in 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 uh, Raiders and in Last Crusade, mm-hmm. it just it didn't look like. I never occurred to me as Hunter College, mm-hmm. like and he and he his house was always seemed more rural, like it was in a neighborhoody, which is kind of like Hyde Park which is the city in Chicago where University of Chicago is where I grew up. But in my mind, he was always from the University of Chicago. And like, that was like a piece of pride for us living a mile from there and my mom working there and parents both went there. 
And and then that was confirmed in that mystery of the blues because he says I was a student at the University of Chicago. So <laughs> that's where that must have seeped into my mind because mm-hmm. you know I was like, why did I think that? <laughs> so it was just a small little piece of personal. I, yeah i mean you know you feel like he's you know he's mine a little bit you know yeah. that's a powerful feeling so but it, i mean it did the trick because it got harrison ford apparently inspired and it got spielberg inspired to say maybe we could do another one of these you know like yeah. this is fun you know let's do this so they 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 do indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull and i say i can remember the first, you know, this is 2007. Eight. It's not, yeah. it, well, the movie comes out in eight, but I remember in oh. 2007. I mean, the internet is definitely a thing, but it's not the oh, way yeah. it is now. But I remembered that first image of just the hat laying on the ground. And I just, you know, I mean, at that point, 2007, I'm in my 30s and I'm like, oh, this is the most exciting thing ever. I just, yeah. I, I can't believe I'm going to get to see him again. And I go see the movie and, <laughs> It I watched it again and it it it's it reminds me of the Star Wars prequels where I go, this has so many elements that I love. How does this not work? And it just doesn't. I mean, this movie has Karen Allen back as Marion Ravenwood. It's she's Kate, wonderful in it, she's by the great. way. Kate yeah. Blanchett, and yet it and I I I hate to be this way. I think I lay it almost entirely on Spielberg because the oh, movie yeah. to me feels sluggish. Like it yeah. just feels the action scenes, the scenes with him and Mutt where they go and they they they're in that pit and they're chased by the guys with the the poison darts. Like it just has no yeah. tension to it, and it yeah. just feels like it's a it's an action movie done at like one in, at like half speed, and it just. And it's shorter ah. than Dial of Destiny. It's 20 minutes shorter than yes. Dial of Destiny, which was too long. But it doesn't we'll feel that, that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I saw it at midnight. I was still, mm. they, they quite, they hadn't started doing the thing where Thursday night, yeah. they start at seven. They were still doing the Thursday night at midnight thing, you know, because it was pre-MCU. So, like, I think that sort of started around Avengers. I remember I saw, also saw the Avengers movie at midnight. That was really the last midnight showing I felt like I think I needed to see. Anyway. I, I dressed up, you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing. I went with my friend who's a huge indie fan and I felt good about it during it. I, but I'm a gamer when I go to movies, like I love to love things. And I think mm-hmm. anyone who has mm-hmm. heard me on your various podcasts, know I am, you know, very positive about the things that I like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. definitely to a fault sometimes. So I remember after it, like thinking it was pretty good, but I remember also thinking like, Oh, aliens really like, and what you said the last time we talked about this, about it feeling like Spielberg didn't have his heart into it, was confirmed for me when this week I went back and I watched the making of for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, too. And his whole interview, Spielberg, his whole interview is saying, well, I thought I was done with Last Crusade. We're, we made the trilogy. We're good. And then Lucas said he really wanted to do it. And I was like... Well, we already did it, but okay, he talked me into it. And then he said he wanted to do Aliens. And I was like, Aliens? Really? I already did a- two Aliens films. So, like, your mm. feeling, and definitely what I feel, you know, later I just couldn't put that to words till you pointed out, of that, like, it just feeling like the heart of it, which is Spielberg in many ways, wasn't yeah. in it. 
And it's true. He admits that he didn't want to do it. And I think it was smart of him to, sh to give it to Manigold, who now I appreciate even more just hearing him talk about uh, how much he, he loved it and how Raiders made him want to be a filmmaker or whatever. So I think that comes through in the movie. And I think Spielberg, because he didn't have his heart in it, was kind of lazy about the CGI. I feel like Lucas, this is just a feeling, but I feel like Lucas coming off the sequels, you know, he screwed those up because of the C he got so slap happy with bad CGI. You know, what was, you know, the, I'm talking about Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, you know, those movies look like you're watching uh, younger characters playing some characters that, you know, with a cartoon. It's just mm -hmm. the CGI wasn't good. And in King of the Crystal Skull, I feel like Steven Spielberg should would have figured out a, the real Steven Spielberg, the one with the heart that we know, would have figured out a way to make those ants animatronic or, you know, and the alien real and not a CGI alien. It just it felt lazy, all those CGI tricks. Um, you know, the 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 blast, the 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 um Fridge blast is like mm. the best, the best stunt in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. rest of them are just kind of cheesy and cheap and don't look good on further rewatch. Like, and it's hard. I know everyone in those days was like stoked about CGI, but like, it just, I feel like Spielberg could have figured that out physically and it might've taken a little more, but it would have made the film better. I think a little bit. Yeah. All, the, all that stuff's pretty weak. Um, where we're introduced to his new pal, Mac who we have no feelings for, right? Right at the very beginning. And then he betrays Indy. And you're like, well, what do I care? I, right. I just met this guy a minute and a half ago. And it makes right. Indy look stupid. Then you're like, right. well, he's trusted this guy. And why? You know, now it's one thing if Mac turns on Indy at the end of the movie and you've gone on the journey and you feel like, oh no, this guy was bad the whole time. But right. at the very, you know, but by the right. fact that it's right at the top of the film, you're like, well, what is Indy a bad judge of character? Like what's happened here? I don't I understand. Like why, why are we not getting, I mean, I understand why Dan Holm Elliott isn't in it. Cause he was, was he not alive died. at that point. No, he had died by that point. Oh. Um, I mean, they mentioned that, that Marcus has, has passed and oh, you're right. he is father is his father. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, they Sala waited too is long not... to make that movie, honestly. Well, they, they took too long. But I'm like, Sala is not in this to give us yeah. this other character who betrays Indy immediately. Like, what's that? It's just so sluggish and so mm -hmm. just unthrilling. The scene with Indy and Marion in the quicksand is so poorly done. Like, it's not funny. No. It's just and 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 again, it's one of those things where I'm like, this has every element that I like. It's got Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. It's got Marion Ravenwood. It's got it's Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. It's got, you know, and yet it isn't working. It just isn't. And like you said, I liked it when I saw it. I think I walked out of the theater going, that was all right. That wasn't too bad. And then just over time, every every yeah. time I try and rewatch it, I go, God, this is such a slog. This yeah. is just such a damn slog. So I was really scared when, you know, Disney bought Star Wars, Lucasfilm, and they were like, oh, we're going to do it. We're probably going to, you know, they own Indiana Jones. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> like Disney doesn't Disney doesn't buy properties to not exploit them. That's not the way it works. Now, before but they always the, did right by Indiana Jones. Come on, the rides, the two different well, that's, rides. Okay, the epic stunt show at MGM Studios and the ride at Disneyland are amazing. Okay, see, I haven't, I've never been to either one of those, so that oh, that's good okay. to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. So, two other things I just want to mention about Indiana Jones before we finally get on the dial of destiny. First of all, <laughs> I mentioned the Marvel comic. 
uh, as we talked about again on the Mountain Comics episode, and I actually did a whole separate episode of our anthology show, FW Presents, just on this. The first two issues of The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones are by Denny O'Neill, John Byrne, and Terry Austin. Awesome. They, two, they are a two-parter. They, that story that involves, uh, uh, ironically enough, zombies, uh, I'll mention why that's ironic in a second, are so good. It's so good. Byrne and O'Neill nail the tone exactly right. And I'm like, why didn't they just make this the next movie? <laughs> like, just adapt it. And I was always so curious as to why. Now, Byrne, John Byrne, for people who are listening to this who don't know who John Byrne was, one of the biggest comic book stars of the 80s, one of the few marquee names, the guy that DC handed a bunch of money over to to reboot Superman. And did it and, successfully. Yeah, and did it successfully. One of the major all-stars. So him doing Indiana Jones, a kind of, you know, not one of their biggest titles, was so strange. But I was so frustrated as to why he didn't continue on with it. And I could never find anything about it. I never read an interview about it, but I found one little bit on a substack where it says, Marvel began an ongoing series starring Indiana Jones. The first two issues were written and drawn by one of comics' biggest stars at the time, John Byrne. However, due to conflicts with the licensors, Byrne left after just two issues. Now, I have no idea if that's right or not. Who wrote that? Whoa. I don't know whether they're making that up or not. It's confusing because the book kept going. Right. So whatever issues they have with licensors... It, it must have gotten resolved at some point, but I will say as a kid, I kept going with the book. And then at some point I bagged on it because I think it was just like, this is just not working. And I did a quick look through the issues I'd never read before we got to this. And by the final two issues, the final issues of Indiana Jones, number 35. So it just, it finished just at, at the three year mark, the final two issues of further adventures of Indiana Jones He's taking on a guy wearing a cape who has essentially has superpowers. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's where they are here. Like they, they are just running on fumes on this. And it's sad. It's not it, – it, this is totally alt-universe kind of thing. But Marvel had basically closed its magazine line by that point. You know, mm. they, were, they were running high in the 70s. And in the mid-80s, they tried to bring some titles back. But basically, by by this point in 1987, the only black and white magazine they were still publishing was Savage Sword of Conan. I would have loved it if they had done Indiana Jones the magazine, mm -hmm. right? Instead of trying to sell it to kids that want to read superheroes, mm -hmm. sell it to the audience that was buying Savage Sword of Conan. Mm -hmm. Because that was a separate audience. Larry Hama, the editor of that magazine, right. said in interviews... For a while, Savage Sword of Conan was Marvel's most profitable magazine wow. because it was selling to a different audience and it had a higher price point. And I'm like, mm. and like, imagine what like a John Buscema who drew the movie adaptation that mm -hmm. we talked about, which we loved, which we loved. If John Buscema, and we know how much he hated drawing superheroes, right. John Buscema drawing an Indiana Jones magazine every month, like, oh man. So yeah, ugh. but what? Why didn't you know? I'm always wondered like. You know who drew the concept art for Raiders was Starenko. Starenko, right. So, like, you know, this is a guy who is, you know, no no um, stranger to spy comics, you know, having, you know, sort of invented the look of... Uh, yeah, the run on Nick Fury, Agent of Nick Shield. Nick Fury, yep. yeah. So that would have been cool if they had mm -hmm. done... <laughs> if Starenko had done those. Yeah, I... Um, 
Yeah, I always would pick up the comics like here and there, but never, and I never felt, and I read the books and I never felt like I was getting the full thing. It always felt like, kind of like how I felt watching the that episode of Young Indiana Jones. Like it was just like, Indian real Indiana Jones adjacent. Like it was mm-hmm. it, it was it was the best I could get. You know, I read that book. What's the one? There's a book about Atlantis. I forget what it's called. The Dial of Atlantis. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Something of Atlanta. That's a really good book. There's a book where he goes to Stonehenge. Okay. Um, and there's something there that's really cool and it's like very spooky. Great books. But it, it was like what it's sort of like with uh, Star Wars and Star Trek that a lot of fans have like why didn't they ever just take one of these amazing comics or books and make it into a movie instead of you know instead of Star Trek 5 and Star Trek Generations why didn't they take one of those amazing Peter David books you know mm-hmm. what I mean like same thing with Indiana Jones like there's so much like you were saying about the the comic with they could have just taken that story and made that instead of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull so I just I... really got that I will die on this hill that anyone who loves Indiana Jones should absolutely read at least the first two issues of the comic and 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 see if you agree with me that John Byrne and Denny O'Neill, they just understood it. And they only had yeah. one film to go on at that right. point because this is pre-Temple of Doom. Right. Uh, you know, and so but they just got it. And it's a shame. So you mentioned the books, and that's exactly what I wanted to bring up because I've only read two Indiana Jones books. One is the movie. Uh, novelization oh, yeah. of Raiders. Yes, I read that too. Which yes. is not very good because it's that movie screenplay is is ruthless in terms of how efficient it is, and the book just has a bunch of other stuff you don't need. Now that's just the nature of books. That's just, the, but it just has a bunch of stuff that I'm like, I don't care about any. Like it just feels like padded because it is, and it's just the way those books are. But I did read this one, this original novel by Steve Perry, Indiana Jones and the Army of the Dead which again, he takes on basically uh, zombies and I liked it. It's got his sidekick is Mac again, which, you know, when I think this book came out in 2009, so I bet when Steve Perry wrote it or at least got contracted to do it. They wrote some books after Crystal Skull. You know, I, 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 yeah, I, and I think they were like, look, Mac is the character that you, but having him in this book, you're like, no, I don't, he's going to betray Indy. I don't like this. And, the book is, you can see here, I'm holding up to the camera so Henry could say, it's 300 plus pages. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize that probably modern day audiences are not going to go for like novellas anymore. Mm-hmm. Like if you go and you read the original Tarzan books or the John Carter of Mars books, those are like 180 pages. They're thin volumes. This, because the book is 300 pages, Steve Perry has to fill a lot of time with like the backstory of the Nazi. And his thoughts and feelings about his mission. I don't care. He's a Nazi. He's a, you know what I mean? Like, give me more indie, but indie is like one fourth of the book. And that's just the nature of these books. So I'm just kind of like, I love Indiana Jones, but I just don't think I'm going to go on with these novels. Cause I'm just like, it's, it's too dissolute. There's just too much mm-hmm. other stuff that I just don't care about, but I'm, I'm glad I read it. Cause I wanted to see, you know, what is an original Indiana Jones adventure read like as a prose novel. I, I just looked it up, and uh, the book I was referring to is Young Indiana Jones and the Circle of Death, and that's Ooh, the, the one okay. where he's in Stonehenge. Okay, but yeah, there were a All bunch right. of Young Indiana Jones books. That's right. They, they, you know, they always they never quite got it with the extra stuff with Indiana Jones, which I think actually speaks to 
how great those films are and how great Harrison Ford is. Like they never quite capitalized on the merch and the other the other stuff in the way mm-hmm. that Star Wars and other franchises did. It's amazing that they kept making movies of it. Yeah, considering that there really, there wasn't like an ancillary revenue stream kind of, right. you know, and they do the book stuff. So, okay. We're finally here. We've been talking for 90 minutes. We're finally going to get to the final film, which is, of course, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It came out on June 30th, 2023. Most people listening to this, I'm sure you've seen it already. Why would you listen to this if you haven't seen it? But in case you haven't, very brief plot synopsis. In 1969, retiring history professor Indiana Jones gets involved in one last adventure involving an artifact known as Archimedes Dial, a device that legend says will reveal Fishers in time, allowing time travel. Indy and family friend Helena Shaw search for the dial at the same time as the German scientist Jürgen Volier, who wants to use the device to go back to 1939, ensuring that Germany wins World War II. Of course, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Phoebe also film also stars Phoebe Waller Bridge. John Ray Davies is back as Sala. Karen Allen, a surprise at the end, back as Marion Ravenwood. Mads Mickelson, Antonio Banderas, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Seanette Renee Wilson, Ethan Isidore, and Thomas Kreitschman fill out the cast, as you've mentioned, Henry, directed by James Mangold, is written by Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, David Kep, and James Mangold. So, as we talked about in the Mountain Comics episode, what we were going to feel about this film six months down the line, how do you feel about it now? You, We both liked the movie, but we had only, I think, only seen it once each at that point so now that you've seen it how many times have you seen it since and what are your feelings about it now so i saw it twice in the theater um i think when we had talked we, we had both only seen it once and i'd we only both, seen it once yeah and we were both going to see it with a family member so mm-hmm. we, we had kind of a similar story um i wasn't anxious going into it i was super excited just couldn't wait and um, like I have Regal Unlimited, like I'm a movie guy. Like I go, you <laughs> right. know, and I was very excited and, and, and I, they, were, they released like early tickets for it and I bought them and then they pulled them because they were afraid of spoilers. So they, there were no more early releases. That was like a thing that happened. Um, so anyway, it was set to come out when we were traveling to Israel for the summer last summer. And I, I said to my wife, I'm like, I am not missing Indiana Jones on opening night. Like I need to see it like the weekend of I can't wait past Saturday, you know, just, just like for the spoiling part of it. It'll the spoiling, yeah, that's social the media or whatever. Yeah. That's the panic for me is the is the spoiler of it. And um, and so we went to a theater in Tel Aviv and um, we went with our friends who we we're staying with. Unfortunately, they're not um, movie people. One is a professor, actually, of, of, mm. of religion and one is um, an editor at The Wall Street Journal. And wow. they were on their phones the whole time and kept whispering oh, to my wife no. and stuff, like talking during it. And I like at one point I at um at one point I leaned forward and like put hands over my ears so I could so I could hear the movie. Wow. And the other thing was, since it was in Israel, it was subtitled in um Hebrew. And so when the Germans were speaking German, I I, I, you, know, you did it unless your Hebrew was really good. And mine was like, okay. And it was like the first week of our trip. So I hadn't gotten back into it yet. My wife speaks fluent German. So she's telling me what the Nazis are saying because she knows German better than both of us know Hebrew. So wow. That was kind of funny, but you know, it sort of took me out of it. Like I was just, and I, I, I love the movie. Like I, I, 
you know, I really, at the end, I really thought, oh my God, Indiana Jones is going to die in, in the past. Like this is really happening. I was legitimately surprised when I didn't realize what they were getting at with the whole time stuff until the plane is pulling through the, the vortex at the end, the fissure. I, I think you, you had the same reaction. Oh my God, they're really doing this. Yeah. Like, Yep. That was when I realized, oh, this is a time travel movie. Holy shit, Indiana Jones is going to time travel. Like, And I didn't feel the way I felt with the aliens, which was like, ugh, Indiana Jones is going to be with aliens. Like, <laughs> it, I was stoked because I love time travel. And I was like, oh, yeah, the, this is like his final frontier, right? Really thought he was. And then to end with, with Karen Allen, the reconciliation, the hat with the circle clothing, closing at the end, just in case, like everything I needed from this, I got. And the second time, and then I was, and then I took my father-in-law to see it. He looks like Harrison Ford. We always joke when we see <laughs> Lucky him. him. Yeah. Well, he looks like older Harrison. <laughs> he looks like I'd still, I still, yeah, uh, he's about yeah. the same age, but we always joke he's here. So I went to go see it with him and he enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed it even more the second time. Cause there wasn't, like you said, the anxiety about what's going to happen about him dying. And also like, there wasn't all the other nonsense. There was no one else in the theater. I could just focus so that is all to say, to answer your question. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> that long. Uh, no, no, it's exactly right. Yeah. I, um, I, the, the, I watched it. I, I waited till it was available digitally. I, I bought it when it was like on sale for $9.99 on Apple TV. And then I waited till it was truly on Disney Plus in preparation for this. And I will say the third time watching it around was my most joyous time of it because i felt the appreciation that everyone involved in the film had for it and then that was confirmed when i watched the documentary there is it is a love letter to indiana jones and mm -hmm. even the stuff that's kind of meh in it it didn't bother me as much as like maybe this the first or second time seeing it it's just it's a good movie and i'm glad james mangold made it he makes good movies and it's not the best movie but it is far from the worst and it is far from the worst indiana jones movie so yeah i really enjoyed it the, the most the last time around and now i feel like it's one i might revisit like mm -hmm. i feel good about showing this to my six-year-old like in a, mm -hmm. in a year or so after we've watched the other ones you know but like i feel like i can it, it's an enjoyable movie for the family and and all that stuff yeah, I, as I again I mentioned on when we talked about it the first time is the when I watched it and they mentioned at the top that Marion has gotten is asking to get a divorce because you see that letter mm -hmm. and I was so filled with anxiety that that's what they were doing that they were like what is this obsession with taking mm -hmm. our heroes and mm -hmm. just breaking them down and I even think there's something about like the this wasn't the main poster of the film but it, like if you buy it on apple right and you look at it what's the graphic the graphic for the movie is this downcast shot of him with the hat and it's a, like yeah. a dour image and i'm like yeah. why what is that why are they making the movie they're look going like for like a thing they're going for like an attitude like 
look, and Indiana Jones is back, but we're only showing you half of his face. Like they're trying to, to me, go for like a vibe, but you're I right, it's dour. It. it just looks dour. It just looks yeah. like it's it reminds me of like the Superman Returns poster where he was like looking down and sad. Yeah. I'm like, what what is it? Yeah. What you know? And I so through the whole movie, I kept just being like, Oh my god, are they really are they re-? and then you know, we find out that Mutt has been killed in the war and i'm like well okay you know that's a that's a good character piece you know for and it that's what broke them apart okay that's a justifiable reason but i was like is that really what we're going to do here and i i in in some ways none of the action set pieces to me are so diverting that i could get that anxiety out of my mind i like all the action set pieces uh just to knock off some of the criticisms i have i think the movie is too long i don't think any 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 jones movies do not need to be two and a half hours nope it's got too many set pieces. Like, you know, you get to the part with the boat and you're like, oh, this kind of feels like we're heading into the end. We're like, no, there's two more set pieces right. after the, not one, two. Right. There's too many characters. It's just like, too you've many got new characters. Too also. many new characters. Yeah. You've got, I mean, Don't like Boyd me Holbrook. about these people. Like Boyd Holbrook, who I think is a fine actor. I've seen him and stuff like Sandman, who I like, but like, he's kind of like the head, he's the head of the goons. But he's not Mads Mikkelsen. I'm like, why? Right. Why is there like a a mid goon right. who is kind of a character, but not really? Like, why not just have Mads Mikkelsen just have his goons, right. including that man mountain guy that he's got? But there's too many characters that see the the FBI agent uh, who seems like a bad person and then is not so bad. She's played by Shonette Renee Wilson. She's not bad, but I don't know why she's in this movie. And then they she's just not. kill her right. halfway through. So I'm like, there's just too many characters. Too many innocent people die. Too many, too much killing. I mean, that too, was my I mean, main. Yeah, of, I'm already like, I'm sensitive to that stuff in, in movies now. As I've gotten older, I've gotten yeah. more sensitive to like people unnecessary. I, I can't watch any movie where children are in peril anymore. Mm. And Temple is doom aside because I wa- saw it when I was a kid. But I'm saying like mm. any movie where a kid is kidnapped or dies or like i just can't do it anymore it's too real it's too close to home for like you know whatever as a dad of young children like whatever i know I, you mm-hmm. know there's plenty of people out there but i just for me that's what i can't do in tvs and it for so, that same feeling extends when i'm seeing people unnecessarily get killed like innocent yeah. people get killed yeah there is no reason why the the secretary or receptionist or assistant and minister of assistant needed to die in in that that office, like, why did the people in his retirement party, the, who we've never met and would yeah. never see again, why couldn't they just be kidnapped, like taken yeah. hostage, knocked what? out, knocked out, you hit on why? the head with a gun, butt of a gun, yeah. Why did you introduce Antonio Banderas for what he said in an interview is a little more than a cameo, mm-hmm. in so you could kill him, and like they yeah. talk about that in the in the the making of stuff in mm-hmm. um in apple tv that that like you know the 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 shock of having a character you actually like being taken away so suddenly it's like well okay so you admitted that you just wanted to do that for shock value okay like that doesn't do it for me when i'm watching something with good storytelling so i i don't know who's to blame for that if that's the writing or the directing but like why Why did that CIA agent need to... First of all, that was completely unrealistic that you said that character, the head goon, is like going into the CIA operation with them. That that didn't make any sense. Yeah. And yeah, and why did she just die in the play? I mean, yeah, I, I, I did not like that. I actively did not like that. And you're right. There was about 
the tuk tuk scene could have been cut by four minutes. It was seven minutes long. It only needed to be about three. All the stuff with Helena's boyfriend, like oh, cut all that out. Cut it, like cut it for a movie that's two twenty three or whatever it is. Every scene that I'm like, why are we wasting time with this? I don't. I liked. I liked Phoebe Waller Bridge. I loved Fleabag, and I like oh, Chris yeah. Helena Shaw. But I'm like, I don't need all this. Yeah, I don't. No, this, no, no. Oh, for sure. Means. I mean, when the, there's one line when they're being chased, Harrison like Indy makes some line about like why they're being chased by this person, like, you know, her ex-boyfriend or something that could have been it. We didn't need the yeah. whole scene of her, them talking it out first. It was just, yeah. that I don't know why Rob, honestly, it is an epidemic with films now that, that directors take themselves so seriously that these movies are unreasonably long. Like yeah. you, if you cannot tell a story in 120 minutes or 90 minutes, I'm sorry, your movie might be good, too long. Oppenheimer was too long. It it honestly was. I'll see. Now I will disagree with it, you about Killers of the Flowers, Flower Moon, too long. About, about <laughs> okay. Like there, and these are great filmmakers. This one too was too long. It did not need to be two hours and 23 minutes. It could have been two hours flat. Done period yeah. the end <laughs> uh, well I, i'm on the train now that movies should either be 80 minutes or three hours and nothing in between <laughs> because i feel as though yeah. once something is three hours well then you're entering it, into it just three hours is so uncommercial right that you it justifies itself you're like okay we're doing something right. very special no you it's gotta you're, be three you're entering hours into a social contract with the filmmaker it's like yeah. something you know ahead of time oh this is a three-hour film buckle up yeah, in my opinion. yeah, ex- right, exactly. I, I haven't agreed with the length of a few of the bigger log lines lately, but it's a choice that you're making, and it's like I knew when I was going into Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, this is a long yeah. film. This is the all afternoon, I'm going to be here for this. Exactly, you know, that's just the way exactly. it is. Going to yeah. go to bed late tonight. Fine, right? But when you're watching an action adventure movie, yeah, of a beloved character, it should end at the appropriate time that ends. Like, like you said with the Raiders. Even though you're at the end, you're like, oh, this is the end. Keep going. Yeah. I want to keep, yeah, keep going. Don't, don't stop. But that, that means it's good. It's the right. Exactly. Exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. So yeah, 223 is just too long. I hate that those characters are killed just for Indy to be framed for the murder. And then they drop that storyline. Like that's just forgotten. It's like, why is that even part of out of it? Yeah, I just like so all all that stuff is unnecessary. I don't like the muted colors. I know that we don't have Douglas Slocum back as the cinematographer, but that that's not all him because he was the cinematographer on Last Crusade, and that film has muted colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, for, for some reason, Raiders and Temple of Doom have that really crisp comic yes. book kind yes. of super saturated color that I think looks. Perfect, and I don't know why the rest of the films don't He's, have. He that. glistens in in Raiders oh, and Tumbleweed yeah. when he's shirtless. He is like glowing. Oh man, <laughs> you know? it's un it, unreal how beautiful those those movies look. So all that was hanging on me as I just like I said, none none of the adventure was so involving that it could supersede my anxiety that they were going to screw up. Him and Marion, that they were going to like Marion is going to like she's not in them because I didn't know that she was in the movie. I did not know. And so I'm kind of like, OK, I, I just please don't do this. Then they bring her back. They get them back together. And while I don't know if I think the ending is fully justified because she's in it so briefly, 
my love of Indiana Jones is so deep. And he's one of the few characters that I, that the movies have introduced to me in my lifetime that I care that much about that. I walked out of the film feeling satisfied. I'm like, okay, they gave Indy a good ending. And if Mm -hmm. the film itself isn't that great, that's fine. But then I went and saw it the second time. I took my dad. I said, he took me to see the first one. I'll take him to see this one. And I enjoyed it way much more because all that anxiety was off. I was just like, okay, now I can just watch each individual scene. I again, still think it's too long. I, I, you know, I appreciate that you mentioned like the Antonio Baderas' character gets killed. At least Indy gets to say to Helena, my friend was just murdered. Like at least there's a moment where there's like, hey, this guy that I liked is dead because of me. You know, I feel a little guilty about that. Again, I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but that line on the boat where she's like, nothing matters except money. And I'm like, I'm not buying this. Like, I know they desperately want to give her a reverse heel turn. To use a wrestling term, which Thank I know you, you appreciate, appreciate it. oh, but it's I like I just don't buy. It. Like right. she's too nice, and so right. I don't buy her as this sort of like I just you know I'm like no, this is just to turn her good or whatever. But I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Then I watched it twice more at home, and I enjoyed it that much more each successive time. And this yeah. now I'm like, okay, this is just a perfectly fun Indiana Jones adventure. I put it squarely. And nobody can see this, everybody. Henry can't because we're on a camera. But to me, it's like, you know, Raiders are way up here. Then you've got Crusade, Temple Doom, and then not that far down, right. Isle of Destiny. And then way, way, way at the right. bottom is totally. Crystal Skull. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I can live with that because it ends, it gives this guy that I love in a great place with the love of his life. And they even give with the Iris in that he grabs the hat that like, okay, his life's not over yet. Like he might still have more adventures. We're never going to see them, but he's not done yet. And so I was like, okay, that is all that I wanted. And you know what? There was all this talk about the movie's a bomb. It cost 300 million. It shouldn't cost 300 million, but it cost 300 million. Disney's going to lose its shirt. I don't give a shit. That's not coming out of my pocket. Disney made a bad bet. That's fine. They put the, they put the movie out with the dower poster None of that matters. All I know is I spent $10 and now I own it Mm -hmm. and I can watch it forever. And anytime I want to watch a different Indiana Jones adventure other than Raiders, I have this to watch. And therefore, and one little detail that I had missed all the other times I'd watched it. And I feel like a dummy. I think because I was so focused on Marion coming in at the end is I love that when Sala comes in with his kids, he's he's telling them (laughs) He's telling them about a moment from Raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, Indy and Marion were running, and then the plane exploded. I'm like, oh, that's the scene where the yeah. Nazi, you know, I just love that detail. So they did, ultimately, they did it. They did it. They brought, they ended his story on an up note, and that is what I care about more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I, I agree completely. It's just, it's a good, it's a good action adventure movie. I mean, you know, and, and what I appreciate even more now knowing more about it you know i'm so glad this documentary came up it came out because like the amount of stunts that harrison ford did is insane like he that's really him jumping onto the horse and then the horse jumping over the turnstile (laughs) in fake grand central or at 59th street like in pinewood studios by the way can we just say like they even filmed in pinewood studios that's incredible like it's so legendary um he 
that's him jumping over the turnstile and riding the horse. It's him climbing the the rocks that they that they made. That's him punching Voler so hard that he hurt his shoulder. Like that that's so cool. He's so the man still that he he did all that and it goes that goes a long way. I mean, it just it, it I really enjoyed even more now seeing this version of Indiana Jones. You know, I thought the like older version in Kingdom Crystal Skull, it could have been interesting, the the like aging thing, but mm-hmm. they kind of blew it. And with this one, it is so interesting to me to see this version of Indiana Jones. Like you said, without the anxiety of the Marion stuff, although that didn't, I wasn't so worried about that because unfortunately you had ex- unknowingly spoiled that she was in it before I, I had seen it. It's okay. I deeply it's apologize. It's okay because it made me less anxious about it. Though. Okay. All right. We'll take it. So, um, yeah, you just, I know you couldn't take so an online troll trash. Well, no, some newspaper Karen was like, well, oh, look way, how she old, looked lovely look how movie. old Karen Allen looks. I'm like, well, cause she's in her seventies. She's old. Like, what? like <laughs> Yeah. God forbid but, we age. Like, what is that? Like, I know, what's... but I thought she looked great. In this great. Movie. Oh, I love her so. I met her the yeah. one time at a convention. Yeah. She could not have been more lovely. I was such a nervous goon. Um, one a couple of other things about the movie I do want to mention. One kind of yeah. minor criticism is, um, the opening sequence. I think the opening sequence is too long. Like the yeah. de aging, a little. They couldn't get his voice right. He still got that grumble. So when he's, it's old Harrison Ford voice coming out of new indie, young indie yeah. face. It just doesn't look right. Yeah. When uh, Mads Mikkelsen is on the train, right, and he gets his head gets banged into like that post or whatever it Shouldn't is. He have been decapitated. For, okay, he should have. <laughs> his head should have been coming off. But it's an Indiana Jones movie. People sustain. Physical you mean damage. Indy being shot at the for the last forty five minutes of the movie and yeah. not dying. Yeah. Right. All that okay, that's fine. But the I thought it was so strange that when we see Mads Mickelson again in nineteen sixty nine, like his face isn't scarred or any yeah. like really there isn't any sort like even he looks and, better. And, yeah, he looked better. And he and even Indy has the line your your face rings a bell. You know, I'm like, okay. And it's like what? Like they didn't even bother to like give him a gash on his face or something to indicate that yeah remember that when he banged his face into a metal rod going three hundred miles an hour like that that was a weird detail but you mentioned the ending right so Wait, as we're getting before you get oh, to the ending yeah. can we talk about can I say a couple things about that sure, opening of course so I felt like while watching it it wasn't perfect because of those things you mentioned but they had to do it and you had to introduce the movie with seeing young indie. sort of classic like, indie yeah it, it just it, there you couldn't watch two 20 minutes two hours and 20 minutes you couldn't int- be introduced to him in the way that you had to be reminded of who he was even if in the uncanny valley you're watching it knowing this is they were so close it, i'm watching when i was watching it i was like they kind of nailed the face and everything like it could have almost been found footage and the voice does does throw you off and he mentions it in 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 one of the making ofs or in the timeless heroes he says i know my voice is different Mm. and i can bring it up if i really try but like he didn't to me it just seemed like an easy fix like why didn't they turn the pitch up a little bit Mm -hmm. in the editing room i I just don't get that Mm -hmm. you know older people lose their timber it's like a thing Mm -hmm. um uh so it becomes more breathy you know it just kind of gets there's more air in there yes yes and but having said that it's great seeing Indy punching Nazis and seeing them all get blown up. Yes. They just all get blown up. It's great. And I did, I feel like I did need that opening scene 
to get me into the mood for the rest of it. So I think like mission accomplished with that, even, you know, it's not as bad as general Moff Tarkin in rogue one. No boy. But or even worse. Princess Leia at the end of Princess movie. Leia at the oh. end of rogue one. But I still was aware of it while it was happening. But like my wife like leaned over to me. She's like, wait, is this old footage? So, you know, if you're okay, not, well, know, there you go. I could imagine that working for, you know, for like a kid, it'll work. You know, when I show this to my, to my son, it'll work. So fine. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. So I get, like, as I said, the, the, I felt each individual set piece was just, was, was pretty good, but not great. And so I'm kind of, I'm like, all right. And then we're, I'm like, who's getting a little long. And then I'm like, are they really going to do this? Are they really going to, they are really going to do this. And that is when the movie came alive for me. That whole sequence when they when the but the point where they're on the plane and they go through the fissure and they land then the movie came alive for me because as you said, I was like, I don't know where this is going now. Right. I, I really don't know what they're know. doing. Yeah. I don't know. They lit they are they are going for it and it is working. And I love the 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 scope of it. I love the small details of it. I love when that ancient, you know, harpoon, whatever it is hits the you know clangs into the nazi plane and indy just kind of rubs it a little because he's touching history genuine historical artifact in the all of that i thought was absolutely and i was almost like he's realizing what's happening along with us by the way he's like oh this is happening we're traveling through time it really archimedes was right you know Oh, all I thought all that. And I mean, I know you couldn't do the whole movie like that, but I'm like, geez, I wish the whole movie was this alive because mm-hmm. it's just I was riveted at that point. Now, I do want to ask you, what do you think about the final end of it is that Indy doesn't make the choice to come back? Helena makes it for him. What do you think of that? It's before um, he has his resolution with with Marion. Right. So he, he I mean, do you think he's... it takes his agency away a little that she's the one who makes that he the movie's about indiana jones oh oh oh, he doesn't make the decision he doesn't decide to come back she makes that decision for no this is the way i read it he has rescued so many people he always rescues everyone at the last second he gets away and here to be rescued by the stand-in for us because Mm -hmm. helena shaw is his biggest fan and phoebe wallace bridge is has said many times like while they're filming she's like she was being told not to smile while running right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like she is us so i think that like you know indy was there for us all this time so now one of us gets to save him and that's how i read it and that like it didn't i i didn't felt feel like i needed a moment of like him to like realize like you're right. I'll come back. Like it just, I, I think that actually was done quite well. I, I really, I actually really appreciated that, that it was, and it was again, a different side of him with a lot of good acting in it that, you know, that Indy has sort of, he is, this is the thing he has been chasing after his whole life history. And so to him, I think he thinks that okay, this is what I deserve, and what I is what is the ultimate adventure for me is being a part of history and dying with history. And what he what is really what he really needs is the greatest adventure of all, true love. And mm. he just doesn't know that that's that that coda is coming up yet. So I, I was okay with it. I, I thought it okay. was cool. 
I was too, but I also can see some people. I saw some criticism saying he's the hero of the movie and he doesn't make his own decision. And I could understand why that might rub some people the wrong way, but yeah. it doesn't bother me. It's kind of like how Miss Tessmacher saves Superman. Right. From the, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it might have been better for Superman to kind of save himself, but it doesn't bother me because it's like, yeah. okay, his inherent goodness is what saves him. But exactly. Because but... Tessmacher falls in love with him and saves him. That's because he's so good. That's and be- you know. because he promised to save her mother because she yeah. lives in Hackensack. Exactly. But, uh, but like, no, but again, she is a fan of Superman. She is mm-hmm. even Lex mm-hmm. Luthor's henchman is one of us even lex Luthor's abused girlfriend is one of us is a fan and so like and appreciates everything he's done so you know sometimes and but just not to get on a superman thing but like some the some of the best superman comics are when he is getting the pulse of the people of metropolis and the connection Mm -hmm. that he has with the people and so in this way indy is our hero so so shaw will save him for us even when he thinks he doesn't deserve to be saved. Fair. Totally fair. And I like the shock of it. I oh, like yeah, that they, didn't, I like that they like... didn't belabor it. I liked no. it. like the argument is pretty quick. It's not like it goes on for 10 minutes where you're like, okay, somebody make a decision. I like, she's just like, he's like, this is what I have to do. And she's like, yeah, so do I, you know, so, this is what boom. me too. Boom. And then knock him out. I thought that she was decks him too. That was a good... him too. It's great. So, <laughs> Uh, I, it's almost like in, in some ways the movie is worth it just for that ending, just for that, yeah. the part where they go through time, all of that. And then of course the stuff with Marion at the end, I just, I just love. So yeah, will it, in my mind, will it ever get rise or above in my, you know, to me like higher up in the, in the, as the fourth best indie film? Probably not. I think it'll probably, I think Crusade and Temple of Doom are still. You mean the third best indie? Oh, will it I ever guess, be above fourth best? Yeah, yeah, will it ever be above four? Probably not, just because the other three are Harrison Ford in his prime, yeah. Spielberg in his, not his prime. He's had a oh. lot of primes, but it's, it's Spielberg when he was fully engaged yeah. with Indiana Jones, and you can't really beat that. But that said, it's a fitting end to the character. Uh, and so I'm glad that, I'm glad that, Disney, I'm glad Disney bought Lucasfilm because yes. otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Otherwise it would have been Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would have been the last one. And that would have been like, oh, really? All right. So I'm glad we got this. Disney yeah. lost a bunch of money. I don't care. It's well, I get to have the movie now. You know I what mean, I mean? So You know, Kathleen Kennedy gets a lot of shit on the internet. I mean, literally the most recent South Park <laughs> movie, uh, a TV movie was like, making fun of Kathleen Kennedy and Star Wars fans and stuff. So I know she gets a lot of shit, but you know, she was like, she started out as George Lucas's right hand person. She read the first treatment of mm-hmm. Raiders. Mm-hmm. So she is very invested in this character. And the most telling thing to me to come out of that documentary was, I know the last time we talked uh, on mountain comics was that you were like, Oh, come on. Of course, Disney's going to make a new you know, Chris Pratt's going to play Indiana Jones one day oh. or whatever, something horrible like that. And I, you know, I know part of it is my own uh, naivete, but like, and wanting to believe, but the way that Kathleen Kennedy, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, James Manigold talk about and end that Timeless Heroes document talking about how the two are tied together and there will never be another Indiana Jones. I just, I really don't believe it. I think they're just committed to making, making whatever they can out of those five 
films and like there's talks of a i think there's going to be a new ride at disney and there's going to be some new food at disney that's indiana jones related like they're <laughs> i think they're they're committed to you know canon and i know they redid you know they did they had a young guy play solo but you know they've never rebooted <laughs> no no that, that's I, not a reboot right yeah exactly. so i don't yeah. think they're i really just don't think so i think they're just hoping that that these great the these three great films and this one good film and this one bad film live in perpetuity and make them money that they needed to make. And, you know, I, I just, they're committed to Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. I mean, it's possible that their contracts are such that uh, Disney can't go forward with it. I mean, it's, I think that's a thing in uh, Robert Zemeckis's contract is that nobody can do anything with back to the future as a film without his involvement and he is just steadfastly i'm not going to do it and so maybe their contracts are like that now i am interested though i mean this is kind of a dumb question because like, the answer is of course you'd watch it because of course you would because so would i not a reboot but if and apparently disney was thinking about this and then they have since decided no we're not doing it but like you know a helena shaw tv show a short round tv show like that's not a reboot that's a side quill kind of thing now would i watch those things yes i would because i'm a sucker because i love indiana jones and i love the world i would watch it even though it's not indiana jones that said i don't want them to do that because you have one of two choices in and if you do that a indy is alive but you're not seeing him which is frustrating which sucks yeah which sucks because you want to see him or he's dead and i don't want to hear that either so it's kind of a right. lose-lose situation in that right book. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd be fine. I, I, fine. I'll watch, you know, like, honestly, the Disney Plus shows have been less than, I mean, some of the Star Wars ones are good. Some aren't. Whatever. I'd be fine with that. I would totally watch it. And I love Kehu Kwan. And like, I think he's amazing. And I love that he's having his moment right now. And he's back. And the fact that like, Harrison Ford gave him the Oscar oh, when he won. Like, just... how you could, and that they hadn't seen each other in 38 years. First of all, they really didn't keep in touch all those yeah. years. <laughs> Harrison's very grumpy, as we I know. Guess. Um, you know, that like that they had their reunion at D23. Like that's all. Oh, that's incredible. all the feels. All, all the, the feels yeah, all the it. feels all around. What they should do is is they should make an animated Indiana Jones sh show on on Disney Plus, and then you get Kehu Kwan, Phoebe Waller's Bridge, Harrison Ford he wouldn't even have to do that much work. And, you know, you pitch up, you, you do it throughout time, you know, because they can do that. They can make their voice. They can do whatever you could do. Mar have Marion in there. You have Shia LaBeouf do a mutt adventure with them if you want. And that's what you do. You do a, a, a Disney plus show. It, it's, show. It, it's like, you're looking at my notes here, Henry, <laughs> because the last note I have for this segment of the show is there is that 92nd, Oh, test so piece good. by Patrick Schoenmaker. He posted it in 2016 and it's just the adventures of Indiana Jones as a sort of proof of concept. And it's an animated Indiana Jones adventure. It's just music. There's no dialogue. It's on YouTube. Anyone who's listening to this hasn't seen it, go check it out. It is gorgeous. It moves. It has wonderful flow. It has, it's funny. And I am the one exception I would make to this is what I'm saying. I don't want to see Harrison Ford anymore is I would see these right. because then, as you say, he could voice these for 10 more years. Right. We could do, you know, we could do five more of these movies of just have him do animated adventures. That is the one. 
And I'm I'm like, why didn't this get moved forward? It's right here. I don't. Uh. I know. That is so fun. That is the one exception I would make to. I don't want to see Harrison Ford come back. I don't want to see any version. I don't want to see de-aged and and no, you know the ghost no. Harrison Ford. No, you know no, the no, way no. they're doing. Jimmy Stewart's in a commercial now, and they're doing like an AI Edith P off and all this no. horrible stuff. I don't want to see any. Hopefully, he's got his contract where he's like, no, you can't do it. My and hopefully his family well, will have enough money that they're like, we're not going to do it. Yeah, either. well, I mean, you know, like, I think one of the outcomes of the re- of the SAG strike was that that mm-hmm. won't happen. Like Disney has it if they want it. Obviously, like you know, in the Timeless Heroes, they said they had dailies. Like Harrison Ford would film the opening scene with right. James Manigold. And he's doing a lot of those stunts, old Harrison Ford with dots on his face. And then they'd go into the Lucas vault and the computer would mesh it all together. And James Manigold would see it in like a few hours. And they'd be like, okay, that's good. Let's redo that. So like they could make as many as they want. But I think with the SAG, the new SAG agreements, they can't. (laughs) I hope so. I hope that's the case. I really hope that's the case. I don't want to see that. It must be weird to have your your likeness like that so like disney owns this corporation mega huge corporation owns so much of harrison ford in terms of footage like it's just crazy to me between han solo and indiana jones it's also we haven't really talked about just how incredible harrison ford is is that he played two completely iconic characters who are everlasting at the exact same time in a time when that was like the kiss of death, you couldn't do you, you once you were locked into a character, you were both locked into that character. So you couldn't do other characters, but also you had to do only that character forever. Look at Sean Connery, Christopher Reeve, you know, um, I, I don't know who else was typecast, you know, but Harrison Ford did it twice at the same time. Overlapped characters, you know, yeah. he play. Yeah, it, it's really I think that's why he's the he is like the goat. Yeah. He just is the goat. Um, so yeah, I it's there aren't when we talked about doing this, and I, I thought about this about doing this kind of different episode of Fade Out about a fictional character. There just aren't that many fictional characters that I feel really were worthy of doing an episode on. Have you because, ever done this before? No. For a fiction? Okay. No, it's always just it's all been real people. And I can't imagine I actually don't have another character in mind that I would want to do this for that is a movie creation and meant that much to me just means that much. I mean, there's a reason why that ending scene of Raiders, as I mentioned them on the steps, fools, bureaucratic fools, that is that clip was in my wedding video Mm -hmm. that we made, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, you edited for me. I mean, if, that because yeah. that's how you know I'm like as I like to tell me I look like a young Harrison Ford you know what I mean like it's it's I want to live in that world and that dynamic that he has with Marion is like everything I think about as romance between a man and a woman like you know it's like it just it's so much part of my DNA and I you know thank George Lucas and Steven Spielberg well, I owe them thank them for lots of stuff yeah but thank them for giving birth to this character and again got all credit to Lawrence Kasdan and Philip Kaufman. Yeah. Lord Philip Kaufman is the one who came up with the Ark of the Covenant idea, right. and Lawrence Kasdan wrote the screenplay. I mean, these guys nailed this thing to the wall and set the template for this thing that I could still be caring about. For I, I am fifty-two, everybody, and I went into Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as I said, with genuine anxiety. 
<laughs> right? And like at, at this age, you worry about other things. You have right. other more important things on your mind as opposed to movies. You know, you just go like, ah, I don't care anymore. But I went into this just like, please, please, please do this right. And I feel, I don't know what, how I would feel if they hadn't, if they had right. blown it. I might have just walked out depressed or something, you know, because they've blown other things. I won't get into it because I want to end the show on a positive note. There are other long-term franchises where I think they blew it. Mm -hmm. They didn't, and they didn't kill, uh, you know, Captain Kirk, a character very well on screen or something. And it made me kind of like, oh man, but they did it. They did it with Indy and that makes me very happy. So as I said, I cannot imagine I'll do another fade out on a fictional character. Cause I just don't think there's another one that means as much to me, but I am really glad that we did this Henry. And the fact yeah. that we've been talking for two hours. Oh my God. And there's even stuff that I still left out because oh, I just love Rob, Indiana Jones. I have seven pages of notes. We haven't touched any of them. Oh <laughs> my I'll, God. Maybe I'll send them to you and you could uh, put up Henry's notes. Well, on your, okay. Your I, or something. <laughs> is, is there any, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else you want to mention about these movies, Indiana Jones in general? Just, Maybe from your notes or just not. I had a lot of notes about like references and Easter eggs, which is all stuff you can see online. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff about the Wilhelm scream and the Mm -hmm. loud punching and some of the best sound effects in the history of movies. Oh, absolutely. And they just put them back in there that, you know, the the spear of destiny was both a comic that the makers of the film knew about. And it's another religious artifact. The fact that all of the artifacts until this point were religious and this one was about science like there's just yeah they just there's a lot of stuff to say about it i re- i really enjoyed it i mean i really 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 here here's what i'll i'll say i really encourage everyone out there if you're an indiana jones fan to watch the documentary timeless heroes indiana it was jones. fun i thoroughly enjoyed it it really shows you how they are tied the two Harrison Ford and, and Indiana Jones are tied together and it, and it and it gives you such a deep appreciation. I just if I didn't love this character anymore, you know, like, now I love it even more. Like it's just yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um absolutely. So well, all right everybody, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this very long conversation about a movie that just came. I mean, most of the movies on fade out that I never talk about are ancient are really old because we're talking about people's final films or whatever, but it was nice to talk about something contemporary, yeah. you know, something that, that just came out on, uh, on streaming and was in theaters this summer. And I just, I love Indiana Jones. I just yeah. love it. And I love talking about it. And even though we talked, I think, for 90 minutes on Mountain Comics just a couple of months ago, and now we did another two hours, that says something about Indiana Jones. You can just keep talking about it um, just forever, absolutely forever. So, okay, Henry, we're not quite done yet because okay. something else that I decided to do, one thing I do over on my Pod Dylan show, for people who listen to that show, or maybe they don't, uh, I do an exit question, which is just a nice way, I think, to wrap up the show, give my guests the kind of final word. And it's, you know, on Pod Dylan, I rotate them depending on the guest, if they've been a uh, recurring guest. And Henry, you've been on Pod Dylan a bunch of times, so I'm running out of exit questions for you. <laughs> but it's not something I did on Fade Up. But now I, I wanted to introduce, I like that element of it. And so I'm going to introduce that to the show, except for this show, for Fade Out, I'm going to change the question every month. So you're going to be the only person who's going to get this particular question. Oh, well, you're really getting it in there uh, (laughs) before the end of the year. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. Since I figured since this is the last show of the year, I wanted to kind of get the ball rolling. And then next, you know, next month we'll have a new exit question again. It'll be 
partly dependent on my guests, partly dependent on the time of year or whatever. But so yours is pretty simple. I let it to, I gave it to you ahead of time because I wanted you a bit time to think about it. I'm not trying to surprise you, which is what was your favorite movie experience of 2023? And the context for that question is it could be what was your favorite movie of 2023? It doesn't even have to be a movie that was released in 2023. It could be something you just hadn't seen mm. until 2023, an old movie. Or it could be what was something that was just a great experience, like you took your kids to something. The movie was meh, but the experience of taking your kids to see it was awesome. And so it can be any of those things. So what would you say was your favorite movie-going experience of 2023? Well, because you said it can be any of those things, I'm going to answer in like a two-part, okay. <laughs> if I can. I'll cheat a little bit, as I'm known to do on Pod Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um 2023 and 2022 have been the years of going to see films in the theater that I have never, that I beloved films of mine that I've seen hundreds of times, but I never saw in the theater because they didn't exist. I didn't exist yet when they came out and 2022, I had like Star Trek, the motion picture and wrath of God, like Mm. some other great movies this year. I'm just going to rattle them off. These are the movies I saw for the first time in the theater, classic films that I, Always wanted to see in the theater. Superman 2, Back to the Future, the first one. I'd never seen that in the theater. Um, The Last Waltz, which I know you saw. Oh, right. I went to that. It was great. Um, Alice in Wonderland with my children. That was very nice. Frozen, which I've watched a thousand times. What Alice in Wonderland was it? Was it the Tim Burton one or the animated one? This is the animated animated one. Wow. Okay. Um, Frozen, which I've watched, you know, during the pandemic, we probably watched three times a day, but right. I'd never, never been engaged, always like on my phone, you know, with my kids, you know, but we, I took my kids to see it in the theater. It was incredible, right? So like, I'm so lucky I've had like these great, I love, keep re-releasing movies, Fathom, and, you know, I don't care about your Jesus movies, but <laughs> your, other, <laughs> your other, or your operas, but I'll go see these anniversary releases you're not compelled by the kirk cameron oeuvre to go <laughs> no, and not. see those films the chosen is not one that i'm rushing to the <laughs> the theater um but uh i i will say like the best move and and i i have sort of i interpreted your question as um going to the movies because that's a, a thing i love doing like mm-hmm. i said i'm regal unlimited like I, I, I used to be a movie pass guy like whatever I had some really, I had three spectacular moving going experiences this year. They were as follows. I got to see the last two episodes of Picard in I, of Picard season three in IMAX with a room full of Trekkies who were, mm. it was like, it was like a first come first serve free event. We got a poster. Like it was unbelievable. It was like, it was and those last two episodes. It's like a full movie. So I got to see the enterprise D on the big screen, like all of my, childhood feelings you know so that was incredible in a room full of trekkies people are applauding whatever and the other two were seminal moments for movies in 2022 2023 seeing barbie with my wife opening night on a pack theater just one of the all-time best um movie experiences ever and i think one of the one of the best movies i've ever seen in the last 10 years in the theater Mm -hmm. like i just thought it was brilliant and seeing that like with my wife and like we're laughing we're crying this whole room of people is dressed up like it was it was a thing it was a it was a moment and then the other thing like that was taking my son to see taylor swift era's tour and people were and you mean the the movie the movie oh yeah i wish (laughs) yes the movie. (laughs) and i have become 
I'm like a total Swifty. You're a Swifty now, yeah. Oh, huge Swifty. And like this movie <laughs> made me a Swifty. There were teenagers standing up in their seats the whole time, even on the slow song, singing along. And there were grandparents with their grandchildren. I'm there with my six-year-old. And like we stayed up late. It was like past his bedtime. And it was just and he turns to me and during the second song and says to me, he's six years old. He says, Dad, this is the greatest experience of my life. Oh <laughs> um, wow. So, you know, I you know, I had some great so I know that was a bunch. That, yeah, that was all, not one. That was not. <laughs> that was three. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- those two, Barbie and Taylor Swift were were like, those were the movie moments of 2023 for me, for sure. Okay, good. I, I my will, I'm not going to answer the question because I don't really have an answer for it, but I will say, to. yeah, it's I don't have my show. show. I do what I want. <laughs> but I, I will say, I remembered, I went, my wife and I went to see Oppenheimer and it ended at the same time, she so the movie ended, and we were. I was waiting in the the lobby for her. She went to the ladies' room, and like a minute later, a, a screening of Barbie let out, and this army of you know pink clad women came out of every conceivable size, shape, color, age, just came, and almost to a single person, they were ecstatic. Yeah jumping for joy over this i saw a woman who looked like she was 15 months pregnant mm-hmm. uh you know i mean un and 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 that as corny as it is that really made me happy to see oh, it was a joy. look at this look at this on this underserved audience is being given this movie that they just love and just mm-hmm. sitting on the bench watching these women come out just hugging each other and just ju- literally jumping for joy Mm-hmm. For what they had just seen, I thought, oh, that's this is just the best thing ever. You know, mm-hmm. this is just such a great thing. So that's a that's a I'm glad that you got the chance to see it in the theater with your wife and you loved it so much. So that's great. Those, those are all great answers, Henry. So I I, I expected nothing less from you. So uh, <laughs> cheating on your question, as I always do. Uh, no, I meant a good answer. You always give good <laughs> answers. So um, so okay. Um uh, why don't you tell people you mentioned it earlier uh, this is uh, three hours ago you mentioned it uh, what was the name of your show but why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the podcastosphere oh sure so I, I have a couple podcasts they're both sort of on hiatus right now one by design um and one just because life um but i, I have a podcast called uh, funny they don't look jewish you can find us at jewish comics pod if you google jewish comics pod will come up first thing in google um and it it focuses on looking for explicitly Jewish content and superhero comics. So like the things bar mitzvah or Jewish wedding and Batwoman celebrating Hanukkah, things like that. And I have another podcast called Superman and Lois and pals and uh, which is follows the, the show uh, episode by episode uh, Superman and Lois. And I think next year will be our final season since they Mm. announced this will be the final season. So I'm kind of sad about that, but you know, stay tuned for that. Um, but honestly, if you want to talk to me about film, because I imagine your audience here are film folks, you can find me on Twitter at Gonzo3249 and on Letterboxd at Gonzo3249. Um, I think I've I, I think I've written some very nice little mini reviews on there and I've gotten some good feedback on them. So if you want to talk about my reviews of some films and look at the, my lists and films I you know, my funny lists that I've made and my rankings. Um, love for you to check me out on Letterboxd. I'm like 
kind of getting into Letterboxd, Rob. So <laughs> yeah, me too. I've been enjoying. I'm on yeah, there as yeah. I'm on I'm on there as uh, Rob Kelly Creative. I don't write reviews. Yeah. I just do star reviews. Yeah, but it, it is fun. It is. I've I'm been, getting more I've into been, it. Yeah. I don't. I haven't like gone back on like great films that I love, but like as I've been exiting films I've been seeing recently, either at home or on in the theater, I've been writing like a little thing. I'm curious what people think about my thoughts on Oppenheimer <laughs> um, and, and killers of the flowers moon. All right. One thing I will, God, this show's really got to wrap up, but I, I will, <laughs> the longest will be the longest fade out we've ever done. You might have to split in two. Yeah. yeah there you we, go. Can make, we can have our own trilogy. <laughs> part one, part two in January. No, but yeah. I am curious if you can give a brief answer to this. How do you rate films on Letterboxd in that? Is there to you a, it's all one continuum from zero. You can't give anything zero on Letterboxd because like then it's not rating at all. I think you have to give it a half a star, I think is the least you can give it. Right. Is there to you a continuum of half a star to five stars? Or do you, like Roger Ebert talked about, and this is the thing that I do, where mm-hmm. I judge a movie by the kind of movie it's trying to be and how successful is it as that kind of movie. So therefore I could give one movie five stars and another movie five stars, but I'm would never say, Oh, those movies are equal. You know what I mean? Like I would like, I give Raiders of the Lost Ark five stars. I give Lawrence of Arabia five stars. Would I say for one moment that Raiders of the Lost Ark is as good as Lawrence of Arabia? No, I would not, but they are to me. the. Okay. Well, all right. You know what? Secretly I might too, but you know what I mean? Like it's to me, Raiders is the exemplar of the kind of movie it's trying to be. Therefore it's five. Is it as good as the Godfather or something? You know what I mean? That kind of like citizen Kane, or is it to you? It's all one continuum and you rate them against each other. And that's just how it is. Well, like I've known to do, I'll say both. Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) Yes. And, um, so like, you know, I was looking at some of my ratings here, right? So like, uh, Ant-Man Quantumania I gave half a star because it's a dog shit movie everything <laughs> about it sucked Okay, um, but maybe a bunch of kids liked it and maybe that's what they were going for I don't know so in that case the answer would be no but I also gave Puss in Boots The Last Wish five stars because I saw it with my children and my wife we all laughed our asses off cr- actually cried at an emotional beat or two just absolutely loved it. And so, like, is it is it a five-star movie the way <laughs> The Godfather is? Right. No. But it gave us a lot of joy in okay. the theater. And okay. so it's a five-star movie. Um, and then, you know, there are also like some of sometimes, you know, for movies that I personally just love, they get a higher rating. So, like for a while, I was like, when I first got into Letterboxd, I'm like rating every movie that I love five stars then i'm like mm-hmm. well, wait a minute i can't say that and then also rate the godfather five stars mm-hmm. i can't also say that star trek five is five stars oh my god <laughs> you know what i mean like just because i love it certain aspects of it doesn't mean that it's it's that so i kind of in that way i would say i you know i there, there's a little bit of that you know i, I had to kind of recalibrate a, a, a little bit because you know like superman 4 is horrible as you have 
didn't know what to say and refused to do a podcast about. I hate that movie so right. much. <laughs> right. But I don't hate that movie because it's the only Superman movie that I saw in the theater as a kid. So oh. it, do- it doesn't get half a star for me. Um, gotcha. You know what I mean? Okay. That's, again, there's no wrong answer. I'm just sort of curious as to how people, how they compare things. You know, the hardest thing mind. for for me was like picking for my like home screen my the my, the four movies to like represent you me you know yeah. me and it's like I've got it's like a weird list I've got Superman one Superman two the Big Lebowski and Star Trek two the Wrath of Khan on there <laughs> so like which one does not belong from right, that like, list does Superman two really need to be on there but <laughs> there are you know a billion other great movies that I love you know like why isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark on there I don't know so it's uh yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair, okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, but I, I appreciate hate, the nuance of that. Yeah. I hate that, by the way, on Letterboxd, God, this show's really got to end. But I, I hate the fact that Letterboxd only gives you four to represent yourself when it should be five. Right. Like, I had Top to five. cut one out and it drove me yeah. nuts. I was like, no, I could do five and feel good about myself. Right. Or I feel like I'm kicking one of my favorite movies in the shins and I just. I, it bothers me. So come on, Letterbox. Yeah, because top build five the algorithm the out to five. Come on, that's yeah, the, no one has yeah. a top four. You have a top five. Exactly. Right? Nobody does top four. It's top five. Yeah. Okay. So um, I do. I'm not quite done with you yet, Henry. But just mm-hmm. hold on for one moment, because you know what you're you're here to do. Um, of course, you can find all the back episodes of Fade Out on our website, FineWaterPodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show uh, on. Uh, we can follow the show on social media um at on twitter and on blue sky as fade out pod yeah, again you can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice if you want to support the fine water podcast network just go to patreon.com slash fw podcasts there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice so big thanks to monique d for her support of fade out i really do appreciate it speaking of appreciating of course this is the final show of the year Last year, because I got married, uh, I didn't do any episodes from October through December because these shows are very research heavy and I just could not <laughs> uh, pull off a wedding and a honeymoon and do fade out. So I put the right. show on Hades for a little bit. But this year I did a show every single month and I am completely uh, blown away by the quality of guests that I've been able to book for this show. And that is, I, I mean, that's my effort. Cause I make the effort to find interesting people, but they all say yes. And so to me, it has nothing to do with me. These are just really great guests. And I think that the show, if I may say, say so myself, I think it's the best it's ever been, especially this year. And so I want to thank all of my guests, Henry, of course, who's right here with me, but huge, huge, huge thanks to my guests from this year, Lara Gabrielle, Allison McCor, Nick Santa Maria, Sarah Century, Amanda Smith, the legendary Joan Darling, Carrie Bible, Mariah E. Gates, Matt Sorois, Ileana Douglas, and April Snellings, who were all nice enough to come by and talk movies with me. It is just, I, I'm humbled that all of those wonderful, accomplished people would come on my show and have a conversation with me to talk about a favorite star of theirs. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud of this show. I do the best I can. I, I think the, the parts of the show that are, are, are the lesser parts are, is me, you know, but my guests are just no. bringing it every single month. And I have some really exciting guests lined up for 2024. So I'm so excited to get to those. But big thanks to my guests for coming on and making the show um, just so special for me. Finally, we really are ending the show, everybody. 
is, of course, last month I announced the contest, which because since uh, last month I have started doing audio commentaries, professional audio commentaries for movies. There are Blu-rays out there with my name on them, which is like the thrill of a lifetime. It is a it is a life goal ever since they started putting DVDs out 30 years ago. I was like, boy, I'd love to do this. I never thought I'd be qualified. Some people might argue I'm still not. But nevertheless, I'm doing them. And so I ran a contest that said if you uh, left a positive review for the show, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you would win a copy of, I'm holding up to the camera for Henry to see, a Blu-ray of Horrors of the Black Museum from VCI. Great, uh, grungy, weird little horror movie starring Michael Goff. It features uh, an audio commentary by people that made the film, but also features another audio commentary by me, as well as a flip cover by me. The, 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 the one that comes shrink-wrapped, you'll see the original cover, but if you flip it over, you'll see an original design by me. And so all you had to do was leave a five-star review since I announced the last episode and this one, and you would be entered to win. Uh, you entered in a drawing to win a copy of this Blu-ray. So I have written the names of the people nice enough to leave five-star Fade out reviews on Apple Podcasts, Henry. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wave these pieces of paper in front of you. You can okay. see them. Yeah. I'm just going to keep rotating them. And then whenever you say stop, whichever one I have in my right stop. hand will be the winner. Just say stop whenever you're ready. Stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. The winner is uh, her handle. I'm guessing it's a her by her name. Lola Bell 17. So Lola Bell, thank you so much. for and Thanks, everybody for leaving five-star fade-out reviews. I really, really appreciate it. Movie show, there's so many movie podcasts, so getting mentioned, getting noticed is really hard. And the uh, I, the um, five-star Apple reviews really, really help. So Lola Bell, you are the winner of the Horrors of the Black Museum. I keep holding up to the cameras if you can see it, everybody. <laughs> but Lola Bell 17, you are the winner of the Horrors of the Black Museum Blu-ray. So there's the email address in the show notes. Hit me up and give me your address, and I will be happy to send you uh, this uh, Blu-ray, and I hope you enjoy it. And again, thanks to everybody for entering. I really appreciate it. Seeing new Apple podcasters, Henry knows, being a podcaster, seeing a five-star review show up is uh, really, really quite nice. Um, and so uh, I really, really appreciate everybody. And I'm looking forward to – I have at least three more uh, Blu-rays coming in the next couple of months, and I look forward to – I'll be talking them up uh, when they drop. So – that is going to do it. Thank you, everybody, for listening for this incredibly long episode. Henry, thank you for doing this. You know I always enjoy talking to you. There's a reason why you've been on five of my shows already. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you, Rob. And I hope you have a great Christmas and all the things. Thank you so much. This is like you. It's amazing to have made a friend like you in adulthood where like you hard like to do. All, you like all the things that I like, and the <laughs> not only did uh, the, the degree to which you like them is as extreme as mine. You also are an expert and podcast about them. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for you know keeping me in the conversation with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, so thanks everybody for listening. Yes, Henry, have a uh, happy new year. Thanks everybody for listening. I hope you have a happy and safe new year. We'll be back with another fade out before you know it. But until then, we've reached the end of this particular script, so it's time to fade out. Hey, what happened? You don't look very happy. Fools. Bureaucratic What'd fools. What'd they say? They don't know what they've got there. Well, I know what I've got here. Come on. 
buy a drink. You know, a drink? 